Hello and happy new year from the Bikes for Death podcast. As always, my name is Patrick and I'm your host. And I'm looking forward to getting this year started with another great episode. Brett Stepanik is a legend in bikepacking. He's mostly known for setting the triple crown champion on a single speed. That's the Tour Divide, CTR, and AZT. And just recently, he came to Arkansas to try to become the first person to ever complete the Gravel Doom Loop, which he was able to do in three days, 12 hours, and nine minutes. I followed him around in my van and caught up with him throughout uh, his ride, at least on day day three. So on this episode, we're going to have some clips from him. Well, I think it's just one clip when I caught up to him uh, out there. I didn't want to bother him too much. Uh, I did take his picture, but for the most part, I tried to leave him alone, focus, and let him do his thing. And uh, today's intro is going to be a little short because I am trying to get this episode out to y'all And then I am headed to Missouri to go interview Hal Russell. And then I want to remind everybody that on this Wednesday, so this will be coming out Monday, January the 10th. And this Wednesday, the 12th, we are going to be at the Natural State Rockin' Republic. And we're going to be doing a live and in-person podcast. So I'm going to be interviewing the Lechuga family, Scotty, Ernie, Eli, and Ethan. They're two 10-year-old twin boys, and you're invited. That's going to be at 6.30 on Wednesday night, and it'll probably go for like a couple hours. We'll just kind of see how it goes. But uh, no RSVP. It's free to enter. So just come and heckle us and say hi. All right, so let's get this one in the can and out to all you beautiful people. But before we do that, let us let us give a huge shout out to the folks that made this episode possible. Uh, starting with our newest patrons, Drew Rainey, Jim Sevely, Eric Warren, Jessica Swanson, Kyle Gilbert, Ryan Boswell, Andrew Young, Howard Chapman, John Gibson, Casey Peters, and John Campbell. Thank you all so much for stepping up to be sustaining members of the Bikes for Death podcast. This is an eight-day podcasting trip that I'm on, and uh, you know it takes a little bit of money and uh, time away from home and all that stuff to make these things happen. So if you appreciate the effort and you want to pitch in, uh, you can find out everything over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. Now let's also give a huge shout out to today's episode sponsor, Quadlock, and I've got Ben Moore all the way from the UK to tell us about his experiences with quad lock. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Patrick. Tell me real quick, what kind of riding are you into? You're a legit sponsored racer, right? Yeah. I'm technically a downhill mountain bike professional. I suppose (laughs) that categorizes it. (laughs) Yeah, man, that's awesome. So, I mean, if there's one thing, you know, you know, it's, you're going to wreck, you need to protect your phone. You need to have your phone on you to record your segments, everything. And also, you mentioned that you've been using Quadlock for four years now. So what are some of the things that you found helpful when you're riding your bike and using Quadlock? Yeah, I mean, Quadlock for me is one of the things that's um, it's more of a training tool. But I actually use it every day. Uh, I mean, whether that's in the in the car, which I spent a lot of time in on the roads, using it for navigation, I prefer the, the Google Maps on there. And then if I was to put that into a bike scenario, it's actually, even if I wasn't training, just to ride to the shops, or if I'm in a city where I've not been before, I've got my quad lock on my bars, 
and I can go, right, where's the restaurant? Where am I going? And I can just follow it on there. I don't have to stop every two minutes on each block to work out, oh, actually, I need to turn left there. And I think that's where the real beauty of this product lies. And then when you take it off of your bike, you end up with this really cool phone case that's actually a really probably one of the best phone cases on the market. And it just so happens that it's got this locking system on the back that you can then use on your bike, in your car, running, kayaking, whatever you want to do. Yeah, I bought into their whole ecosystem. I got it on all my bikes. I got, you know, the desk one that holds it on my desk and charges it. I've got the one in my van. Um, you know, I, I got it all. Well, listen, dude, if people want to follow along some of your racing and what you got going on, where can people uh, follow you at? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, over the years, I've done a lot on Facebook. So every race I do, you end up with a race run on Facebook. And it's normally a minute or two long. So it's not... You know, it doesn't ever get too boring for the viewers. So yeah, find us on Facebook. Um, also got an Instagram and then uh, flicking my way through that as uh, as time goes on. All right. Sounds good, man. Well, thanks for coming on and chatting Quadlock with us today. Thanks for having me, Patrick. All the best. All right. Take care, buddy. Cheers. All right, everybody, that is it. Let's get to the episode. I'm really excited about this one with Brett. He was very highly requested by many of y'all. And uh, just so happened that when I reached out to him to do a podcast, he was planning to come down and do this doom loop in Arkansas. And uh, the window just worked to where I was able to be here and uh, meet him in person and uh, really enjoyed. We got to hang out a bunch and uh, I got to know him pretty well. Great dude and uh, really enjoyed this conversation. So without further ado, let's have Miles Arbor take it away with the Bikes for Death theme song. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. Well, I think we got some audio here. Okay. Andrew Onerma. How you doing, buddy? I'm great. Sitting down drinking coffee with uh, you and Brett. And we're outside in the Ozarks. Can't ask for much more than that. Well, maybe like not a busted face and lip. And True. You could be, be nice. riding your bike too. But yeah. I know you said it was... <laughs> <laughs> it would be nice to ride a bicycle. I mean, on, honestly, like <clears throat> I, was a, I didn't know exactly what I was going to see when I got here. Yeah. And uh, I thought it was going to be worse. Like yeah. I thought you were going to be in worse shape. Yeah. So. Not too many people have seen me. So whenever they see me, that's been kind of the common response is yeah. like, oh, you're, you seem to be doing really well. And yeah. I'm like, that's... Uh, yeah, I feel like I've been lucky recovering really quick. So I'm yeah. glad about that. I think sure. people will be happy to hear that because, I mean, if if anyone follows you and um, they fucking better. <laughs> I didn't look at my reflection in the mirror or like the photo the first day and like whenever I went to sleep, I didn't look at myself because I didn't really want to. And then in the morning, I looked in the mirror and I was like, oh, that doesn't look very good. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it healed up pretty good. Yeah, Doctors yeah. did a good they job. They did a good job. You can barely tell. Now you got a cool scar and a, and a story to sell. But yeah. Honestly, I think everybody will be happy that you're healing up and uh, hopefully back on the bike soon. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. So, I mean, the main reason is I, we got Brett here who just finished uh, yesterday with uh, becoming the first person to complete your 
your route, your gravel doom route. So I thought it made sense for you to tell us like, what is the, what is the gravel doom? Yeah. Uh, let's start there. What is it? Okay. So it's a 376 mile route through the Ozark national forest, utilizing primarily gravel roads. And it's essentially highlighting some of the favorite roads I've found while being out here. I wanted to connect it all in a way that, uh, takes you on a unique journey, keeps you pretty remote to where you're not going through any towns really. Jasper, where we're at right now, that's the the biggest resupply of the whole route and that's in 90 miles into it. And uh, as you can tell from us being here today, there's not much going on here even. So, yeah, it's a small town. Uh, a lot of it was, I wanted to make something really challenging that would help me better train for the Arkansas High Country race and route. And so, I essentially was like, let's condense that down and like only include the heavy metal and uh, see what happens. And so I just wanted to make something that was gorgeous, remote and challenging. And uh, I've just been trying to get some people to come ride these roads out here that not too many people see. So whenever Brett hit me up, uh, it was a few days after my crash and my injury. He tried texting me once or twice and there was just a lot of messages. So I just like hadn't really been looking at anything. And uh, he was more persistent and I was like, something's up. <laughs> and so first he just wanted to see how I was doing. But then as soon as we got through that, he's like, so I really want to come down to Arkansas. I have this time window and I really want to try your out. And uh, I guess I didn't think about that, but he was hitting you up like right when you were good. Right after your accident. I was still much. on a bunch of painkillers and I was uh, staying Probably had with, a, a sea of messages. Yeah, like I was staying with out. my mom and I was sleeping maybe 16 hours a day and uh, not really looking at my phone much just because, uh, I don't know, it, it was a lot of trying to figure out what my next year was going to look like. And yeah, so as soon as he said that, it just lifted my spirits big time. I came back into the living room where it's just my mom and her two dogs. I was like... My friend Brett's coming down and he's going to come ride my route. It's <laughs> like a little kid. And uh, yeah, and then from there, I just started dumping as much beta as I could, uh, just giving him everything to help it be a successful run. I know he has a shit ton of experience, but I wanted to still just, uh, I didn't want to hide anything. I wanted it to be very doable without me making it more ridiculous than it needed to be. So yeah, it was... It was really cool that he wanted to come down. And the day after he said that, I got hit up by Andy. <laughs> and uh, he said, hey, I want to do your route. And same thing, I started giving him information. But I was worried. It's like, oh, man, Brett really wanted to be the first. And Brett, I told him, and Brett said, doesn't change my stoke at all. I really just want to come down to Arkansas, have an incredible ride. And it doesn't matter if I'm the first or not. I just want to go have a big bike ride and yeah. uh, experience more of Arkansas. So that that made me really happy. And uh, fast forward to this past week, he showed up a little bit before midnight. And uh, next day, he's he's on it in brutal conditions. Like, no one really wants to try it just yet. And he comes down and does it in some really, really challenging conditions. So hats off to him. Uh, it was super inspiring to watch for myself. Well, I'm waiting to ride bikes again. And then uh, a lot of people started tuning in and uh, it was exciting when there's not a whole lot going on. Brett told a really, really fucking cool story through uh, him riding his bike. So yeah, it was, uh, it's keeping me stoked and excited while I'm still waiting a little bit longer to ride bikes. 
what made his his ride at this time of year like more challenging than so there's always challenging conditions there's always going to be creek crossings no matter what and i basically on the file said there's multiple creek crossings on this route but this is the one of note and there's a sign that says when flooded turn around don't drown uh so creek crossings is definitely one of them but when it's 20 degrees outside creek crossings are a whole different ball game because it's if you get your shoes wet or your socks wet that's not going to change like it's going to be freezing cold and you're going to be wet and your status of energy is going to plummet very quickly so he brought in so much experience to be able to manage uh basically the conditions and the terrain and then of course with it being so cold you're just you're never actually getting warm burning way more calories he kind of talked about how it was another layer of fatigue that you guys will talk about later uh later but yeah it's basically he took there's not many bikepacking routes in Arkansas right now. There's the high country, and then like there's this one. Uh, there's a few scattered ones in northwest Arkansas. There's not too many. So he he came down, and uh, when no one else is really bikepacking in the state. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everyone in the state is like cuddled up in their yeah, houses. Yeah. It's true. We've seen nobody outside. Nobody driving. People nobody's out and riding still, but uh, it's uh, they're not, not doing much. it for days yeah. on end on little sleep, uh, especially out here. <laughs> so, like, how hard is is the route? You've had some people attempt it. I mean, even your scouting map mission was 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 challenging for just about everybody who yeah, attempted it. It's out here. Kind of my golden standard for a hard training day is 100 miles, 10,000 feet of elevation. And if you're doing it out here, it's slow going. And that's a hard day. Like whenever I do a 100-mile 10K day out here, I get back home and I'm ready to eat a bunch of food and then chill and not do anything else for the rest of the day. So basically it's you're stacking four of those on top of each other and then having to carry more weight because there's very limited resupplies. So as far as it being the hardest route on earth, absolutely not. It's like that wasn't the intention. But I was like, hey, I think this might be one of the hardest routes in the south that I can think of. And I was definitely going to keep putting it out there, I'm like, hey, this is a really hard route in the South, just so people would wanna come try it. It's, for me, it's the perfect training grounds and it's all I know, so it's hard to say how hard it is because it's all I know, but I can tell from whenever other people come right out here that they're always awestruck by like, hey, this is challenging and uh, it's gorgeous. So just the combination of the two of it being beautiful and hard, I wanted more people to come, come right out here. So I was gonna definitely make something hard because for whatever reason, uh, people are drawn to like, I want to go do something really stupid hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, it becomes more challenging. You had um, Andy that came out uh, at, at the beginning of the year and yeah. wasn't able to finish. And I know you had one other attempt. Who was you had that? Nate Griffey, yeah. who has a ton of experience, and he's an incredible rider. Uh, he was late October, early November, and uh, he's had some unfortunate luck as well. And so, yeah, so now uh, the gauntlet's been thrown down. Yeah, it's kind of a, it's like a newer route. So like, obviously not a whole lot of people have tried it, but I'd like to think that after uh, Brett's effort, there's going to be less excuses for people not to try it because he came <laughs> down and did it and like one of the hardest, one of the hardest times of the year to do it. So hell yeah, Brett. Right on. Well, uh, I guess last thing, you've got an event slash race uh, coming up in May. Why don't you go just pitch what you got going on? Definitely going to have this as an event once a year. Going to be Grand Depart from OARC, Arkansas. It's the oldest continually running business in the state. So I just really love the local community where I live there. And I want to keep seeing uh, 
it survive. So this time of year, it's really slow, not much happening. They have to reduce their hours. Summer gets busier with tourism, but I, really I just wanted to show people this tiny piece of the world where I'm at. And uh, with an event, it tends to get a few more people versus just an organized ride. Yeah. Uh, and I just want to make it fun. I want to kind of what I did with this, where I'm giving updates on his dot, we're getting some photographs, we're telling a story and showing some cool terrain. I would love to do that on a bigger scale like we do with the Arkansas High Country Race. Uh, it's just, it's exciting. And for some people that are just going through the, the work week and they don't have the chance to go do any big, big epic rides, they get at least throughout the day, like be checking in and it's, it's really exciting. So it's going to be on Friday, May 13th, Friday the 13th, awesome. keeping that theme of doom going. <laughs> Registration's hopefully going to open up by the end of the month. Going to be working out some more details with all of it. One thing I really want to incorporate is Gremlin Bells. If you don't know <laughs> anything about Gremlin Bells, look it up. But that's taking some culture from Rich Mountain on the Arkansas High Country route. Uh, it's you gotta look into it, but it's uh, yeah. I want everybody to have to carry a Gremlin Bell, and I'm just trying to make a, a funky, cool event that uh, is a little bit different than your uh, your typical event, I guess. The words that I was thinking of as I was driving around was uh, beautiful and brutal. Yeah. You know, some of those climbs are just yeah brutal, but at and, least you're in a really beautiful place. And it's almost <laughs> like it makes it that much more beautiful because yeah. you're just like on the, you're on the brink of holding it together. And so it's just <laughs> like whenever you're seeing something beautiful, it just makes it that much more special. Right on, homie. Anything else? Uh, no, that's it. Um, well, good to see you happy and healthy. Appreciate it. Can't wait to hear your convo with uh, Brett. He's got a lot of good stories from all over. <laughs> I'm going to try not to fuck it up. <laughs> Stop like every hour, like on the on the race clock hour. Yeah. And I've got two and a half minutes until my alarm goes off and I got to get going. Oh, shit. So we got two and a half minutes? Yeah, dude. Hell yeah. <laughs> What's going on? How are you doing? Oh, today's, oh, today's everything's tight like it hurts like so good and like everything yeah yeah just wait little, it hurts good yeah it hurts good but okay. like it's like the legs are like two and a half day like you know like i haven't spent it in a, any time indoors for like almost three days yeah so like the yeah like the cold and the fatigue like it hits different with like when it's cold how cold was it last night oh dude it was like almost like 15 18 like 18 degrees i bet yeah it was it was crispy did you bring enough stuff to stay warm or were yeah you... yeah i was i was eating in my sleeping bag nice <laughs> i had to like <laughs> i could just tell that like what i was when i was shivering i was just shivering away calories so like i had to like keep on top of it so like i kept i just kind of ate a little bit while i was in the bag and how's everything going man everything like uh Day one, I had a puncture in the back, and I had to kind of milk that a little bit. And thank goodness for the post office in Parthenon, because I was able to. Um, I had to keep it in one spot to keep, uh, keep the sealant from. Right, right. Yeah, Just like but I let think it settle. I think it was on the rim side. Like when I when I hit something, I think I actually ripped like thing the tape on the rim. Yeah. Man. So I had to let for it. I had to let it like coagulate enough. Right on. But yeah, I was just kind of like assessing the day i'm four hours in because like race clock 7 30 so four hours in i've got 54 miles left that's kind it man cr crunching some numbers yeah you feeling good about it yes um 
Should be able to finish it out today. Definitely, hundred yeah, percent. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna keep pushing. You had a good rest last night. Um, good. We'll say like, we'll say it was definitely rest. But like, when you're like, everything in the cold is hard. Like stretching. Yeah. Going to the bathroom. Like you know, I I, I went through a creek 6 a.m. on the morning of day two, and I. Totally thought that it was fine, and I got wet feet at 6 a.m. Oh no! So like the rest of the day, and like kind of like the rest of day two, like was staggered and like down. And then all the creek crossings <laughs> yesterday, we had a half dozen. Take your socks, shoes off, roll your like roll your pants up. Creek crossings. Oh Jesus! So yeah, we just yeah. Had, this terrain is no joke either. Like even bonkers. drive. I almost drove off the fucking road a minute ago. I had a mm -hmm. near death experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got to really pay attention. Exactly. So. Oh, yeah. your alarm just hit, didn't My it? My alarm did just hit. Uh oh. So, do you mind if I take pictures of you? Yeah, buddy, we're cool. Uh, do, does it bother you if I leap leapfrog past you? And no, not at all. Okay. Not well, we'll all. do your own thing. I will. I won't pass you on a descent, but on a whenever you're climbing. Sure. If you hear me behind you, I'll just. I'll, I'll yeah, do, you I'll bet. Make sure we have plenty of room or whatever. You bet. I don't want to. I don't want to mess with anything you have going on. But uh, if you don't mind me taking pictures, I'll, I'll take some pictures. Totally and, fine. Cool. Yeah, cool. we got. Yeah, 55 miles left. Uh, Andrew showed me some good spots to kind of try to like intercept you and get some shots and stuff. Yep. I think I'm good on food. I just don't know. I think Cass has water, but I'm also on Dude, a... There's, yeah, I don't know if you have a filter, but... I there's, got a filter, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's there's like, there's water like coming up. Totally. Rock and roll. I'm not supposed to tell you that. Oh, <laughs> okay, okay. You're doing good, my friend. If good to meet you. If you ain't hiking, you ain't biking. That's right, buddy. You only need one gear. Yeah, I just caught up, caught up with Brett. Uh, caught up to him faster than I was expecting. I was actually looking to try to get a, uh, a shot, but man, these GPS trackers are always a little bit behind, um, no matter what you think. Um, it seems like they're always running a little bit behind, but it seems like he's doing good. He's, uh, like you said, 55 miles in, so I'm going to follow him throughout the day and get some pictures and then chat with him tonight. See ya. Brett Stepanek. What up, dog? Hey, buddy. <laughs> I don't even know where to start with you. I mean, like, <laughs> I guess first off, congrats on becoming the first person ever complete the Gravel Doom. What is it? Ozark Gravel Doom. That's what it is. Ozark Gravel Doom, right, yeah. bud? Yes. But or just Doom. Just Doom. Doom. I like okay. just, yeah. Doom. Doom. Congrats on becoming the first to complete the Doom. Thanks, man. <laughs> it was an, it was a wild one. Yeah. Should we start with like introducing you? I think you should like introduce <laughs> yourself because okay. you've done so much. There, it's impossible that we could sit down and like cover everything. Right. But maybe give like a highlight reel so people you know have a have some context. Yeah, I mean, it all basically started in 2006 when I was told by my boss that I needed to take a bike tour because he could just see that I needed something. I was BMX kid, grew up on the BMX and just never stopped when I got my license. And he could just kind of tell that like personal life and school weren't going too well and college is kind of just meh. So he said, I'll give you 40 hours a week next summer and leave on a bike tour and that's what i did so i biked across the country at 21 years old 
and it kind of started from there. Where'd you go on your uh, cross-country trip? I left Wallace, Wisconsin, August 1st, 2007, and biked to Burning Man. Oh, cool. So biked all the way to Burning Man and then ended up in Mammoth Lakes, California, where I worked that winter prior. <laughs> and um, biked home the next summer. And it just, so that was already 2008. Uh, moved to Madison in 2010 for school, for uh, photography school. Saw Mike Dion's film in mm. 2010 and then made a two-year agreement with a buddy and my first divide was in 12. Wow. And then that's where bike packing started. So 2007, mm. I was four paneers, you know, full fenders, full racks, four paneers, left left town mm. with five cotton t-shirts. Just, <laughs> it was, I was definitely inexperienced and green to say the least. But really, yeah, it's just um uh, the bike packing started 2012. Like that's where it really, I just, and getting deeper into the, the lure of this subsect of cycling. Cause I was already part of BMX and growing up doing that and I still love it, but having this to kind of, and mountain bike racing was in there too, just, um, short circuit, but really like being able to traverse long distances while racing and camping is nothing better. Yeah. And then you went on to dot, dot, dot. (laughs) (laughs) Triple Crown. Triple Crown 2017. So, yeah, it's uh, all three on a single speed. At that point, the the lineup was AZT, Tour Divide, CTR, and, yep, all three single speed. Yeah, so uh, no stranger to uh, bikepacking, cycling, uh, big events, um, anything you can... I mean, you've, you've done it all almost. Uh, I mean, there's certainly stuff out there you haven't done, but as far as the big ones, you've done the right. big ones. <laughs> yeah, no, the divide in 12 changed me for the better. Like I, I was definitely didn't really understand. I still had the mentality of like kind of a, like deep down, like a road tourist. Like I, I still wanted to like chill at gas stations and hunt for outlets and naps in the midday sun and it's just like you don't get to do that when you're bike pack racing you can but you're gonna be in the back yeah so but that's just bike packing right exactly but no like in 20 like getting introduced to the sport I, I actually cheated on my first divide yeah i spent the night at a friend's house in whitefish and i didn't really understand the gravity of my my offense until i, f- I finished the divide and then basically understood that there's a reason why we have this in, in a sport that has no oversight and the re- and in a sport that prides itself on prides itself on you know self-monitoring and really kind of just being the honor system i got back to the bike shop and i felt really bad when people would come in and you inspired me this you inspired me that like tell me more and it's just like i felt like a total chump when i when i cheated what happened? Spent the night at a buddy's house in Whitefish. I was I, I was wet, cold, and he's literally was right on the route. And I just, I knocked on the door and said, yo, because I was there a few days earlier. I was there when we, we took the train into Whitefish, to, and I put my bike together on that porch. So it's okay. like, I was like, I just took the, I even turned my spot off like in town. And like, I just, I knew I was doing something, but didn't really understand the egregiousness of it until yeah. I finished. And then. I became a dad in 2013, so like the the next year, and so when I'm preaching like honesty 
and truthfulness and all that to my son, how could I have a blemish on something that I care about so deeply? So I needed to go back. So 2015 is when I went back to reclaim my conscience. I even called, uh, I wanted to really like, like, you know, rescind my time and get in, and everything. So I, I officially, in my, in my opinion, I've finished, I've finished the divide three times, but only finished the race twice Yeah. in my, in personal. So I went back three years later, um, owned up to it, cleared my conscience, admitted to cheating and knocked off six days off my original time. How did you knock six days off? Timers. <laughs> if anyone's raced with me recently, it's all it's all these damn timers. Um, I just I needed to. I knew there was something different. I knew that the 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 line between like f- like full road touring and bike packing bike pack racing needed to have a more, and that was time management. So manage it like getting to a gas station, setting a timer, being on your bike when that timer goes off, or or damn close to it. Just a little bit more due diligence to ride into the night and just having a little bit more of a, of a, of a patina to, you know, keep moving and get less sleep. Yeah. Now I'm thinking about trying to keep track of all these different timers. How do you, I mean, it's maybe a dumb question, but I can almost see myself like fiddling with the timers too much. It's only know? five, it's only five minutes. It's just a so it's always it's a five, always minute, a five time minute timer. Okay. Always a five minute timer. You don't have a, a different, it's like gas stations get no, a two minute. And- gas stations, I'll, I'll do, I'll do two. Like sometimes you just can't get everything done in, t- in, in, t- in five minutes. So, but it's the beeping and the, and the, and it's, it's there to basically like, tell me hey you got to get going because you can you can lose we've all done it where you know you fill up water plug a phone in pull your like you know sit sit down all of a sudden you look down it's like you've been there 22 minutes it's just like man oh my god right exactly so no it's just um the time like uh it's it's being more uh, due diligence with the time management I mean, hell, when, when I first met you yesterday when you pulled up on the trail my timer went off and I had, yeah, I, had I know I had to dip <laughs> I know that was really funny. I got the audio clip of, of that. So we'll probably insert it in the podcast somewhere. <laughs> nice. Like, oh, the timer went off. I gotta go. I mean, it's uh, it's interesting. I never would have thought that you were you had a timer going. You know, like it's such a simple thing. Right. So I guess while we're talking about what is because I think you were saying it's like every hour I stop for five minutes or something like that. Something like that. No, and I don't do it all the time. But basically, like I'm very um, attached to race time so this for instance this itt was 7 30 so 7 30 is you know hour zero that's the one and so i've also this past year uh started to tr- uh, eat not one of my body like when not when my body wants it because then it's too late so i've been trying to get more cerebral with eating on the hour and so at 8 30 or like you know Race time for me, like the official time for me, that's like hour zero. So as I as I move through the day, um, as I move through the day, and when I get to that hour mark, like for instance, you know, nine thirty, two hours in, I'm I'll take a five minute break. So like that's when I because we're all doing it anyway. We're stopping, we're eating, we're you know going to the bathroom, all this stuff. I save all that for the top of the hour. Right. I save all that for my little breaks. So I when when it gets to be that time pull off, set the timer, and that's when I'm, and I've already thought about it for, you know, six minutes, you know, six to 10 minutes prior to stopping. And then I know like, okay, this, this stop is food, bathroom, like this, this, and this. So I kind of have my, I'm pre-visualizing my stop before I even take it. Yeah. 
Yeah. One thing that I've really absorbed from you, and it's not hard to do, is that you're, um, you've learned a lot and you've thought a lot about every single component. I mean, the little toothbrush, you're, I mean, at some point you got to describe this, uh, this vest that you've been wearing, I think since the 2015 tour divide <laughs> that you made, uh, that vest is probably a good example of, I think you should describe that because that is one example that will kind of, um, highlight you as a person overall and your approach to how dedicated you are to the smallest nuance of okay. like dialing everything in, you know? Yeah. I mean, we all, we all have our like stuff put like in the right spot and everything. So I'm very, I try to be conscientious with my gear, and this started back in even more like my riding panniers. Like I, I, I started putting my clothing and food on the right side of my bike because when you, when you stop, what are you stopping for? A lot of times it's either clothes or food. So I learned from an early, early part that like even it's just strategy on where you put the stuff on your bike makes a big difference. Yeah. But um, the vest is a just a Frankenstein of two pieces of clothing that I just kind of like, I'm like, one was broken, just that tiny little zipper was busted on this long sleeve jersey. I'll get, uh, I won't name drop the company, so <laughs> we'll just leave it there. But yeah, the, the, the whole thing was still good, and it's just the zipper busted. So I was like, how can I still use this? So I took the vest and made the, I took the, um, the back jersey pockets of the, of the jersey, sewed it onto the vest, and then used the arm warmers from the jersey as auxiliary arm warmers, but what makes it sweet is that they're not just tubes. They, it still has the contour of the shoulders, and I added Velcro to the top of that so it attaches to the vest. So I, I, don't, have, I don't have to uh, worry about my arm warmers slipping down. And then the arm warmers and leg warmers and nighttime gloves and hat all get put into the jersey pockets, and so when I pull that out of the, of the seat bag at, you know, just before sunset or like just after sunset, I know everything's in there. I got my leg warmers, my arm warmers, and my vest with hat and gloves. Yeah. I wish I could see uh, him like roll it up and roll it out and just um, everything is always in the right place. And, and it's very, it's just so dialed. Very man. compartmentalized. Like, yeah. I'm, I have a very, I need my stuff in this, in the same spot. And it's not like, not an OCD thing. It's just more of a, well, maybe it is an OCD thing, but it, it's it's more of just knowing my system and knowing how it works for me. It appeals to me. Maybe that that's why, because my brain works in a very similar way. I never lose my wallet, watch, keys because everything always goes in the exact same place. You know what I'm saying? Like, and my bike is the exact same way. I know where everything is. You know, right? Um, not as dialed as yours. I need to think more about mine. <laughs> There's a part of that vest though that is rooted in trying to get more photos too. Okay. The patch on the front is just a cowl and it says Wisconsin. So when, when as human beings, we've trained innately that basically like anytime we see words, we read them. So that's just something ingrained in us now as, as humans. When we see words like in an image or a photograph and it's just, you know, we, we read them. So when I'm in a tiny little gas station in Pine, Arizona in the morning trying to find a cup of coffee. I got three old timers sitting outside and the first thing they see on me is Wisconsin. Then they, they, there's immediately some kind of context to start a conversation. And I've, it's happened more than once. And when you get a loquacious character like me with a camera running around trying to do bike races, of course I want to take, I want to take, I want to spend three minutes talking to this guy. Yeah. And so, yeah, having just even the patch on there, 
to add layers of that I'm not from around here as he has worked its way for my benefit for taking more photos and just creating more conversations with your best friend for 10 minutes. Yeah, you. I mean, that's another great example of how you've just picked up different tricks and techniques that that just work for you. I mean, they're they're kind of unique to you, which I like. You know, uh, I got to pick up a lot watching you the last. It's been two or three days that I've been here. I can't remember, but picking up little things. The camera was one of them. I definitely think you should uh, talk about that because I'm definitely stealing that idea. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah, I have to. I have to carry a camera on me. I just even when I'm racing, I've never. The only races I haven't done with with a 35 millimeter camera on me is Gravel Worlds. I think every other every other thing I've done, I've always had a camera on me, and it's just it's. I don't want to say a security blanket. It's more of an extension of just myself. I didn't even realize earlier what like I was looking through Kai's day of Arkansas, you know, kind of gallery, and there's him taking a photo of me yeah. taking a photo, <laughs> and it's just like it's. It definitely when people are you know when we're always constantly looking at like how are you packing this, how are you packing that. I have half a dozen rolls of film in my frame bag. Right. So like that takes up space and room and like it's just something for me. I really enjoy take making images and it it's benefited in um like like yesterday when you you thought you caught me off the bike on a descent taking a taking a picture and so I was wondering if you remembered what that picture was. That picture was of a deer skull hanging yeah. in the front uh, out of in on a rope. To be accurate, it was a freshly severed head. <laughs> yeah. So just stuff like that, and just um. Well, the I mean, it, it, they had it was they had hunted it, and, right. and that's the redneck way of skinning a deer Precisely. as you hang it by the neck, and uh, so they they killed it for food, I'm sure. Precisely. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's just um, the images also like like there's times where I where like I'll be you know 18 hours into the saddle, and it's just like. It's it's a way to kind of put a carrot on the stick for me to like what's what's gonna be your next image or what do you think like what can you make an image of or um yeah and I'm just looking at it's a way for me to not I don't want to say boredom's not the right word but continue with positive mental space moving forward yeah well I love taking pictures so it's one I mean bikepacking and photography for me go hand in hand at this Course. point totally. and yeah so seeing you out there doing that. I just think it's neat. I think that people need to understand that, yeah, you're dialed and you've like got all these like cool accomplishments that you've done, but you're also, I think it was a 2015 tour divide where you said you took two lens, you took three, uh, roll, not three rolls. Uh, how many rolls? 20, 2015, I started the divide with an SLR, two lenses and two dozen rolls of film. Two dozen, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I finished, I have about 18 rolls that I shot. That's great. And I showed up at my first AZT with the exact same thing. And so going from Mexico to Utah with that same camera set up on my back, which I also had to add my bike to my back on the first ever Canyon descent, just, I've slimmed it down. I've slimmed it down to a camera that I, I, I don't necessarily need two lenses now. But uh, yeah, it's carrying a camera on me is just, it, it's, there's, there's never an option of like, am I? It's, it's, it's like, I'm always going to carry one. Yeah. I mean, I know that you are not a sponsored athlete, but like, as you mentioned, you're not here, you know, by your own accord. You've had help and, uh, you know, 
like they say, it takes a village. So if you wanted to take an opportunity to give a shout out to anybody that, that has helped you. Yeah, definitely. For sure. I, I need to uh, start out with Mitch at Black Saddle. Uh, Mitch supposed to be some gas money and, you know, just a super solid homie that I work for and, uh, you know, helps me out when he can. And that's, that's super fun. Really appreciate that, Mitch. But also, um, where I really got to throw down the thank yous is John Campbell at Alpine Luddites. After my, after my second divide in 15, I needed to, um, I just needed to have something a little bit better. Like I knew I, I, I had my own kind of design. I took a, like an original Revelate bag and um, made the rest of the triangle out of Thompson bags. And so I just, I knew I needed to have something, you know, I, I needed to treat myself to like a custom frame bag. Like at this point, you're like, yeah. Right. At this point, <laughs> I was just like, I'm over the DIY. I mean, it was sweet. I, I, I tethered the extra piece of the triangle up into the, the, like the Revelate top tube bag. And pretty cool. I was working a photo gig in Alaska. And before we, before we flew out, I got to go visit the Revelate shop and pick up my bag from them. So that was legit and fun. But after the divide in 15, I was like, I, I have to have something. I have to be like, you know, step the game up. And so I saw and found John on just on Instagram and I really liked his style. And he would post pictures of like listening to punk rock and sewing late, late at night. And I was like, this, this is the dude. So what's the name of his company? Luddite? Alpine Luddites. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's super sick. He, he makes incredible bags for, for Alpine and he knows like the history of, really cool like old school French bags that he replicates and like he knows deep down like what buckles work in the cold and everything he's he, like his first shop was in Uray Colorado and he uh, would help do like the ice fest out there and second shop was in Montrose and now he's in Vermont and I was lucky enough to have bags made in each location but um I reached out in 2015 and I actually ended up sending him my frame because it's got too, so many lugs and different brazons and everything. So I actually sent him my frame to to get it all, all strapped up. And what frame at that time? That was the Bangerang. That was the original. Like that was the the original bike that I had built in 2015 that has been on my back three times through the through the Grand Canyon. And so that was hand built by a buddy of mine in Madison, just a two blocks away from my house. Yeah. So that was the original record holder that bike's reached mr miyagi status that one doesn't need to that, <laughs> not necessarily retiring it but that one's that bike is you know it has the patina it, it doesn't need to prove itself anymore it yeah. has already yeah it's done its job done its job yeah um that's pretty that's a beautiful uh, sentiment <laughs> right but it's so but john he's an inc like incredibly just you know passionate and super cerebral with his like his design and the way he the way he makes his bags and I'm, I'm not and like most of the bag makers out there nowadays are just super solid dudes and like i'm stoked on all the products they're making but when the way john like the way john and i's relationships work and just the way he understands what i'm trying to do and where i want to go with stuff he is the extension of the things i can't do I'll build my wheels. I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll build my bike from the ground up. I'll do all that stuff. But I don't know anything about the bags. That's his job. So I'm just, I was super stoked to kind of just develop and cre create this relationship with him. And, and he built the original frame bag for the Bangarang that, I mean, that was three baffles. I could carry a three liter bladder of water vertically hmm. 
with a hose up to the handlebars for all those races. Yeah, I like that idea. And so moving on to this uh, kind of the chumba now, we had to redesign the frame bag and um, not just the frame bags, but the way way we designed. Like I, I really like racing with half a Z rest and running 650B wheels. I have the space underneath my seat bag. So underneath the seat bag, I've developed and designed this. I'm like, I want a strap under there so I can easily just send. I can unclick the two straps super quick and I've got a seat. When I need, when I changed all my, when I had to take my shoes off for all, yeah. all these river crossings, I had a pad to sit on. Okay. And with just two clips, it came right off. Yeah. So to describe what, what he's saying is he has a saddle bag and then underneath the saddle bag between that and the tire, um, you have your, your pad right. that's strapped up with two, two, is it a volley strap and a one volley strap and, and then, and then an actual clip that yeah. when I designed the seat bag, I, I w- when I was looking at your bike, it's one of the things that I noticed that I'd never, um, I never, I didn't know if that was like, I didn't know what that was. So I'm yeah. glad you cleared that, that was, we, we designed that. I want to be like, John, I want to carry that. It's a good idea. I yeah. want to carry my Z rest. I can't trust myself with a blow up pad. Like I'll, I'll, I'll puncture that thing instantly. Dude, I was just in Arizona on that mile, with, right. with miles doing that bike packing. I've had this, uh, thermo rest for, I don't know, four years, never had an issue, but of course you take it to the desert. Yeah. And I was, I was sleeping on a, a flat pad you <laughs> exactly. know, for four days. So. Precisely. So <laughs> it's those little tiny details that John helps me come to fruition. And I mean, just a simplicity of being able to just drop a pad down to put your shoes on mm-hmm. is a is a huge difference. Right. And the piece of super integral gear that he's helped me make was the my third round through the Grand Canyon on the on the ACT in 2019. He helped me design a like a fanny pack, like like a hip pack that was multi-purpose. My second walk through the canyon in 17 during the triple, I used an actual hiking bag like actual hip pad that I just strapped around the seat bag, but it only had one purpose. I carried it the entire way for just one purpose. Mm-hmm. And on the third round, I designed this hip pack that had enough, that had the integral um, daisy chains and the certain straps on the side that I, so I could use the hip pack throughout the whole race. And then it was dual purpose when I got to the canyon. Then it was my hip harness for the bike traverse. How much of this stuff is like available to the general public? And is he, <laughs> you know, does he take this level of care and customization with all? Totally. hundred percent. Yeah. His, his, his back, I mean, he's got a wait list, but it's so worth it. Cause he's, it starts off with, you know, he creates this rapport and the, and the relationship and he understands what you're going through. Like he's told the line at these races as well. And like, he, he, it's an incredibly one-on-one experience and the way John, um, just just handles himself and and it's it shows right through his products. I mean, it's a variable that you do not have to worry about. I never ever have to worry about my bags one bit. And knocking back the variables you have to worry about is half the battle on these races. So knowing that I can just confidently, hundred percent with sheer you know unabashed, unabashed confidence, know that my bags are going to work and be there. And I, that's just something I don't ever have to think about. You're like I've said, I mean, you're one of the most dialed, uh, let's call you an athlete at this point, (laughs) 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 dialed athletes, bikepacking, uh, athletes that, um, I've ever, I've ever talked to. So, you know, that's, that's high praise, you know? Thanks, man. I'll give them a, I'll give them a look, uh, a check out. I want to do, I still, I still loyal to you rock guys though. You know, (laughs) 
<laughs> and but I can I can look, you know. Of course, but no, but like I mean, and I mean, I run a, like a combination of Alpine Luddites and JPACs, and they they both have their you know their their great great advantages. And but the way I just have to throw out the the hugest and most gracious thanks to John because he. He, he says I'm his only sponsored athlete and it's, and I'm incredibly gracious about that. I mean, you know, humbled by that, but the way we design things and the way we, you know, move forward through the world of my, of taking the next step through my adventures is an incredibly fun process. Right. And, and I was and running his new front handlebar bag that he's been had for a couple of years now. And I've, and I'm really stoked to kind of tweak it the way I want. I, I want to put some daisy chains on a different spot and some rub guards for some, cable stop like spots and everything but having somebody in your wheelhouse that w- is able to make and extrapolate your thoughts of with their passion like the, the fabric and 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 the zippers and the pulls and everything that I love the fact that he knows all that stuff that I don't have to worry about and it's just as a variable that I that when, when I get my bags I just know that they're just bomb on an inverse though from his perspective he's getting opportunity to you know, utilize your experience in the field and, you know, you're pushing equipment and le- to levels that people, a lot of people aren't, you know, right. not the only one, but my, I mean, not a lot of people are doing my, this, so. my one frame bag from the bangerang. I think just in triple crown alone is over 12,000 miles. No, that's crazy. So he, yeah, that's a testament to his products. It's incredible. Thanks, John. Word. Thanks, John. You created a monster. <laughs> Wanted to take a step and and talk about, I'm curious, I've picked up a little bit from just listening to you, but I've heard freelancer, artist, uh, works at a bike shop, solar panel roofing uh, or solar panels. There was another one. Oh, photographer. What do you do, man? Uh, like, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a freelance photographer and a uh, bike mechanic, and I also... Uh, push up solar panels for uh, solar installation. So all those things. Yeah, yeah, basically. So first first and foremost, I mean, the COVID um, knocked down the freelance pretty good. So I went back to basically full-time bike mechanic. But yeah, freelance has always been in the blood. And so I'm, I, if I'm not shooting, I'm assisting. Um, I'll do anything from like location scouting, production assistant, like just kind of in the throes of of the industry as best I can. Obviously, pushing the button is what I want to do, but helping push the button is, is also yeah. as, as well. And then... Uh, augment it with with bike shop well one thing that i like about your story that resonates with me is I, you refer to yourself as a blue collar bike packer and uh you know you're not here today be, with all these accomplishments because you've had tons of sponsors or any other motivation other than just your own personal sacrifice and desire and willingness to do all the things that requires to um, go and, and, and accomplish some of this stuff. And so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how hard it is for you to actually like go and do the doom loop, you know, like what does it actually take? What kind of sacrifices does it take? You know, it's an incredible amount of, uh, patience, gracious patience from my family and, um, just everyone around me. It's like bikepacking is a solo sport when you're doing it, but getting there is a team effort. I mean, all the way from setting up childcare to making sure things are, you know, set up at work and it's just everything has to come in together. It, it is it is a definitely it's almost a harder race to get the stuff lined up to race. Yeah. But that's why 
I savor it so much because like when I'm out here, I I put a lot of time and effort to get here. Like I it's it just as just to get in the car and drive and be there, it takes a lot. And I'm if it if it takes eBaying camera camera equipment and bike parts and you know not going not getting coffee every day like that's what it takes so it's just it's it's i earn every turn by you know by by i'm not saying that one's better for worse but not having sponsors um just throws a different level of it and it's just i, I just deal what i'm dealt and make it work and it's it's Bikepacking is an extremely benefit. Like I need it. <laughs> it's kind of like it's cheaper than therapy. <laughs> I honestly, truly think 100%, that like yeah. this is my zen. Like I become completely and transformatively a a different person out there for the better. I'm just rekindling this primordial resurgency of self reliance, and I didn't know I was addicted to it until I you know until I was in the throes of it and. I'll do anything to get there. And then, and by just the being, having my family and friends and coworkers and, you know, and bosses and everyone all come together to just make everything work. I'm incredibly thankful. You have to line up a lot of things to, to get here. And with the help that I get prior to racing, I wouldn't be able to do it if, yeah. I, if I didn't have that help. Yeah, man, it's cool. I, uh, I respect that. And you were, doing this shit before anybody was even saying the word sponsor you know right. like back in 2012 like now you could actually say oh well maybe you know someone will dm me on instagram and be like that was cool do you want to you know x y or z you know i mean that's that's a possibility back then you were just doing it because you wanted to do it right barely i mean i wasn't going to come interview you actually if i knew about it back then i definitely would have but there just wasn't the, the the media coverage and the instagram and all this stuff now fucking you come back and you're like wait i'm on bikepacking.com wait bikes or death is here to interview me like what's going on when andrew caught me on the descent off pilot rock and he told me that there was an article about me on online i was just like wait i was so checked out i didn't i didn't even have certain like a lot of this is my first itt so like a lot of times when I am farting around on races, it's to check the tracker. But what am I going to check? My own, <laughs> my own dot. So like I had no one in front or behind me to push me. So where am I? That farting around stopped. But it's just like oh, that's so funny. But yeah, when it, when it, when when Andrew caught me on the descent, and he said he mentioned that there was an like you know you, people are watching and you're inspired and you and this and that and it's just like I'm sitting there. I just finished telling him that I brushed my teeth to feel human again, mm-hmm. and he's telling me that I'm out there. Inspired, like that felt really sweet. I was excited to feel that that my you know what you were doing was what mattering I was doing more to precisely like, than just you, right? And it just I had to think about a lot of like why I was even out there and like people are like, just thinking of like why am I down here? Why am I doing this? And it's just because I had the very very small window and the intrigue of a course that's never been a accomplished so it's just it really kind of just and i didn't even really think i mean sitting up in wisconsin thinking oh it'll be fine it'll be okay the weather's you know i'm checking weather for jasper and it's just like i can deal with that at night and it's just it get it got crispy <laughs> at night it was so cold <laughs> but yeah it's uh it was an incredible to, to hear that on a, on a on a gnarly descent to have to all of a sudden see andrew taking pics and then to hear me to, to to have him tell me all that stuff just meant the world. Yeah. 
do you have an opinion on on do you like where the sport and the community of bikepacking is kind of like heading? Like, do you, do you like this? Um, whereas, you know, it used to be a very selfish and solo sport, but now you can like go and ride your bike on something like this and actually inspire people to. I you do. Know? Yeah, I'm in both camps and uh, contextually kind of a luddite, and mainly because of one person from a couple years ago. But the extrapolation of our sport as the only constant is change. Yeah. It's just like, even after three Burning Mans, I can tell they're different. You know, just like it's, it's, you can't not do something and have it stay the same. There's always going to be consistent change and, and all the way from, you know, film crews at Brush Mountain to all these other, all these other things that kind of like, you know, turn the sport into a, you know, we are trying to get, gain legs and gain traction into being a, you know, a branch of cycling. I don't think this is ever going to go away, but yeah. the the original ethics and ethos of the reason why we're out here, I think, is getting um, blurry. Yeah. My hope is that there will just be both that will right. continue to see totally. grassroots. Like, I think Andrew would like to keep this route fairly grassroots and uh, you know, tour to bite, I, I hope will always stay that way. And, uh, you know, CTR, AZT, right. you know, like hopefully, but you know, it, it, that's the thing is like, as it grows, I just hope we do both instead of saying, Oh, we all have to do it one way, like a Precisely. road event or something. It's like, I think that's where we need to do better than, I, I don't know, pick other sports is like, let's just, it, let's just all be happy to, you know, allow them to, you know, do it fast or slow or, right. you know, um, get kitted out and ride aero bars if they want to. I have and, absolutely no problems with people having sponsors. I have absolutely no problem with people, you know, doing it their style. But it's, I don't, I don't want the reason why we're doing this to be covered up by somebody trying to just, you know, hashtag everything or, like, yeah. you know, coming out here and just doing it for the wrong reasons. And people ride for plenty of different reasons. I don't, I'm not saying my reason is better than yours, but boiling it down to, self-sufficient forward progression under your own power is the original, you know, cornerstone. Yeah. That can't go away. No, that can't go away. hundred yeah. percent. That, that the self-supported aspect has to stay true and, and, and genuine. Yeah. So in that vein, there's something I'm always extremely sensitive of as a, I guess, quote unquote media person and somebody who wants to tell stories like yours Part of that is like I did yesterday where I'm, I'll go and like see you and I'm always try to be extremely respectful of what you're trying to do, but, um, you know, try to take a picture and like leapfrog you. But I always feel like an asshole, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I always feel like the thing that shouldn't be there. You know what I'm saying? I get that. What, what is your, I mean, and only you can speak for yourself, but I, I'm curious to get your experience as somebody who's out there in a in it like doing a thing like what does a guy to have a guy fucking show up in a van and like take your picture <laughs> i dig it I, th I think it's pretty sweet i mean there's there's other times where i've been on the divide and um all of a sudden somebody's stopped like somebody's walked out of their house and said and like said my name out yeah. loud and it's just like that right there that awesome. blows me away that that's somebody like i'm out there and someone i mean i've had people pull random strangers who know the race or know the course pull over to say good job or anything so that feels really good i think when you are told it's going to happen i think that that shouldn't necessarily be around i think that um like for instance if you would 
Like I didn't know you were going to be. Yeah, you didn't know. I didn't know. But if you would have told me, hey, yeah, I'm nobody gonna, paid me to be here. Like be, I just if drove I'm up because I wanted to be here. Right. And so like <laughs> I think I think the blinds get blurry that when when you know someone's going to be on course because of course it's going to be, of course it's going to you know boost you up and everything. But like when you don't know it's going to happen, I'm all for it. Um, and I was I had the opportunity to be that for the first time when I left Arkansas. Like the, uh, the high country, so I finished and spent a day or so in Fayetteville, and I was, I got to, when I left, I dot stalked Zach and Aaron, so I grabbed up a bunch of grabbed up a bunch of bike packer food and just they didn't know I was coming, so I stalked their dots and and found them and bless Zach's heart because he this is his that was his first race and he just like he vehemently he's like I can't take anything <laughs> I'm like. I know, but you also didn't know that I was coming. And like, you know, I, I get, I'm, I'm appreciative of your, you know, adherence, but like he was, so I was able to be on that side of the rope, on that side of the rope for the first time to be like to dot stock and to see somebody on the course and did that for Zach and Zach and Aaron. And it was, that was fun. So I, I get the lure of it. I just, uh, when you, when you tell somebody you're going to be out there, I think that's crossing the, crossing the line. Yeah. So, uh, do you want to answer listener or uh, listener questions first, or do you want to? I'm in. Yeah, maybe that'll. Sp- yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's answer some listener we'll questions. Start with some of the uh, the people's questions. So we polled everybody on the internet. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> uh, one person says, "Oh, why this time of year?" That's a good question from DW Brewer. <laughs> I don't know who that why is. Why this time of the year? Yeah. Because we talked that, about it. that's literally all I had. That's all. I, that's work. My partner's having knee surgery next week, and school break for my son, and just everything happened to just fall in time, fall into this year. Like, of course, it'd be better in you know May, June, but yeah. it's just the the variables lined up for me to do it now, and so I just have. There's an old, I saw an old picture one time of a Belgian race team that said, "There's no such thing as bad weather; it's just inadequate clothing." Sure, and I was like, okay, that's. <laughs> That works. So yeah, I just yeah. This, and this, you're from Wisconsin, so is. I mean, you do have an opportunity to kind of like try your shit out. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I I mean, I test rode my shakedown ride on New on New Year's Day. It was snowing and 15 degrees. Yeah, so. he showed me a picture. It looked. I mean, <laughs> it looked like uh, ice lightsabers were flying through the sky. You know, it was just like pew pew. Precisely. <laughs> so, no, it's just it's just the only. This was just the time that I had. To, this was the time I had. And like I said before, the gracious, you know, patience of my whole family to allow me to get into all this. And um, that's, yeah, it really happened. It just happened to be this was the lull between the bike industry, the, the solar industry, and freelance is kind of kind of slow. So let's get it. Yeah, no one had done it. No one, and, and yeah, no one had done it. That was <laughs> Andy such, tried. That was, no, no, no diss at Andy, man. Uh, yeah. I'm, I just, yeah, being able to just, you know, it was more just like, not necessarily why hasn't it not been done. It's just like I'm stoked because it's new, fresh, and I fell in love with Arkansas during the high country. And if this is less than half the distance, but half the climbing, I was like, bring it on. Let's try this. <laughs> All right. Uh, what gearing and uh, how did you choose? Why did you choose it? Uh, I rode 34.18 and... Uh, I am on 650B, so that changes. Uh, a lot of people think I ride 29er, being a tall guy, but I ride 650B. Coming from a BMX background, I prefer to move my front wheel around better. And just my opinion, I like to 
nibble, per se, on stuff more than than the like the the big wheels allow me to do. So I rode 34.18. I rode 34.16 for the Arkansas High Country, and just added a few more teeth. I get my ratios a lot from uh, in Wisconsin and uh, so southwestern Wisconsin, Illinois, and Iowa, Minnesota. We've got the driftless region, so just super punchy sawtooth climbs where like the, the profile of the, the profile of the course just looks like a saw you're just you're going up or you're going down so i just do a lot of i, I have my like base gears and i'm just and i remember all my gear ratios from for instance like the divide was 34 17 so i just yeah i just i gauge it on what i've done in the past and kind of looking at the profile and kind of just seeing like okay what what can i push the big thing for me and single speeding though is also elliptical chain rings Oh. Yeah, I I I've been riding elliptical now since 2017, and I will not ride a oh. classic circle ring anymore. I Why? can feel it. You yeah. can. It's just a goofy. I I I, I can you feel like it in the climbing. I can I can sit longer on a climb. It has that. You don't even want it. You don't. You can't feel it, but you can at the same time. So like when you roll your cranks over, and you have that little. You know that feeling you have when you like when you close a quick release lever and you feel the cam in your hand? Mm-hmm. It's like that, but in your feet. Yeah. It's <laughs> so it's like a subtle it's a subtle difference. And having the elliptical chain ring, I personally being a single speeder, when I'm pulling my bars towards my chest and trying to sit down on the climb be, as long as I can before I have to get up, I can feel I get up the hill farther with an elliptical. What's something that surprised you about Arkansas? Surprise me about Arkansas? That's from Wolf Tooth. Really? Yeah. I just cool. <laughs> um, you did say you just got off the high country. I and did. uh Yeah, I didn't I had no idea this place was as hilly as it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um I uh, prior to high country, I was here, I came down in middle school with a buddy to visit his grandpa. And obviously I don't remember much of that, but you no, know, like doing the races out west and we've got the Colorado we've got you know we, we've got the mountains but like I've never been I've never rode my bike in this state and he, and hearing about high country and just that's what I'm surprised what surprised me the most is how beautiful and hilly this country this yeah. state is it's super hilly and steep steep hilly well this is a good question from copious coffee it's a question I have and probably benefit a lot of people but how did you survive the cold? Like Copius says he struggles just to commute to work. And you were out there for, uh, God, what was the final? Three days, 12 hours, nine minutes. Three days, 12 hours, nine time, minutes. So. And I left the Parthenon post office at 5 a.m. on Tuesday morning and never regained like full heat. Yes, I went into the Compton trading post, but really just a I went to the bathroom and grabbed food and then was back outside. So really dealing with the cold, I just knew that I had to, I I had to stay dry. Staying dry was the hardest part because like, you know, you're sweaty. And so there were times when I had to just like stifle back on hill climbs because I was just, I could feel, or you have to stop on an ascent or descent to zip back up or take off a layer. So it's a lot of stopping. It's a lot of conscientious um, understanding what, where you kind of when you start to feel that tiny little tingle of your pores you like you need to you need to answer that by either like taking a layer on or off and dealing with it like that 
whenever I met you on course, um, I said something about, damn, it's cold. How are you like dealing with it? And you said, I got seven zippers. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it was funny because I went back and told that story to Andrew and He's like, he told me he only had five. It is five. It's five. And I was like, by the time he gets done, it's going to be 300. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's the base layer and then, top, so yeah, at, at, at max, at maximum zipper, it was five zippers. Max zippers. Max, max zippers. Yeah. So it's just the combination of, you know, letting heat in or out and also playing with my, I lose a lot of heat out through the, through my head. Yeah. Well, actually do it on purpose. So like going up a hill climb, I'll reach up and uncover my ears for say to kind of like, you know, cool release down. a little heat, and so I'll, I'll play with uh, like a pressure cooker. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I'll, I'll um. Someone asked about your pants specifically, and so since we're talking <laughs> about layering and stuff, fair enough. Yeah, I, I I don't have any problem running running pants. I have I don't run a chamois. I haven't had a chamois on since Divide 2015. Um, I took it off halfway. Born again chamoisless. I think I don't know if they were making fun of you. I think they were just curious what pants you had on. Were they just like regular? They were like twelve dollar Columbia's that I got <laughs> on sale at uh, at Costco or something. Yeah, yeah. they're just they were like yeah, not a sponsor. They're a, <laughs> they're, they're that weird. Not so you weren't in all Rafa. What? No. Yeah, they were just some like I just I could have done shorts with tights and I and uh, I do ride a lot in my rain pants. For like Arkansas and stuff, I would ride, ride my rain pants to stay warm. But yeah, because it's cold enough to like, I'm, I, yeah, just run the pants. It's at, it's past the point of shorts and and uh, leg warmers. It was, it was, cold. it was freaking cold. Yeah, I mean, to me, it was like cut to the bone cold. And I mean, you're coming from a much colder climate, but yeah, when I got out in, I mean, it's just immediately cold to the core. When we left the morning of, when we left Andrew's place to get get to Oark. Uh, and it was just that, like, you walk outside and kind of just, like, the instant snappiness of it, like, in your nostrils. And you're just, like, instantaneously, like, wow, this is it. Yeah. And then just <laughs> being in that for three and a half days was wild. Yeah, rough. <laughs> it was fun. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, like, this was a complete, I knew I was kind of getting, I didn't really understand. I understand contextually a little bit, but I didn't understand physically what it was going to take. Like, you armchair quarterback at even the drive down here, I'm like, I'll be fine. This will be good. This is this is this. And you get out and your expectations just get thrown out the window when you realize they're like, oh yeah, you there is only like, you know, six to nine mile an hour average on this course and like that kind of stuff. So you really do it all the 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 reality and the weight of that reality hits pretty hard when you start. Yeah. What delirium filled jokes did you tell yourself to keep pedaling? If any <laughs> Oh God, my buddy Jimmy, million years ago, million years ago, we're talking like, God, I think it was either 03 or 04, the mics died at a punk show and my buddy Jimmy went up there and said a dead baby joke Oh, and just made the place completely just silent. And so I thought of Jimmy's dead baby joke. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Do you, what, a, I mean, in that vein, do you use anything, music, uh, books on tape or? I do, I do rock music, but my headphones broke day one. Okay. Late in the evening of day one. I was noticing you never had headphones in, so. They, they busted. I, yeah. I usually save my music for about, you know, three, four o'clock. I like to, I like to, like, I like to push through the main part of the day with, with not, not, I don't want to say distractions, but I really want to just, you know, when the sun's out, I just want to hammer home. 
Um, and then I'll start to using the music later in the evening and I, I'll do, um, I'll do like very, very late at night. I'll do some podcasts when I can, you know, when I'm, uh, but 75% of this trip was, you know, headphoneless. Yeah. So I do usually run music and, uh, I have these weird, weird rules to my, with myself that I, that I say, like it all spawned from the tour in 07. So if an, if an animal ever looks me dead in the eye, I have to say its name as loud as I can. <laughs> That's a great one. And anytime I see a banana. So like, armadillo. Yeah. So any, I'm just like, just to stay awake and be, and just, <laughs> you know, be in the moment. I'm just, yeah. If any, if basically any animal I see, I have to yell as loud as I can. Oh like shit. Just, we got to talk about the moose or elk. The elk. What was it? Yeah. yeah it was two elk. Yeah. Two? All right. So all I know is that the front end of your car looks like it hit an elk, and apparently that I mean, was that was something different. Oh my gosh, that's different. That's that's two days before COVID. I uh, fender bender and with high deductible, I'd just rather do rent and food during COVID than fix a car. Yeah. But while well, I was on my way to Andrew's place, and I was in the Boxley Valley, and I was just I was only about like forty minutes away from his house. I mean, I've been on the road for. 11 hours at this point and I'm starting a race the next day and I'm kind of just, you know, wired up and I'm in Boxley Valley where I had ridden on the Arkansas a couple months earlier. And I just saw a flash of, uh, flash of some antlers and the, uh, or the elk had just dipped down. In, one of the elk had just dipped down into like into the ditch. And I looked up and there was one in front of me and I just slammed on the brakes. We're talking slammed on the brakes. And this elk was still moving forward as I was slamming on the brakes. And basically, I, my car, my the front right, so my front right headlight went under the elk's ass. <laughs> and I basically, like, boosted it into the ditch and helped it get into the ditch. <laughs> so as I skidded to a halt, I skidded under the back legs of this elk. It was sitting on my hood. And when my car finally stopped and kind of had that, like, inertia. Yeah kept moving and it kind of had it, it pushed the elk and nudged it into the ditch for me so i no damage but i literally like lifted an elk with my car to put it into the ditch <laughs> get, your, get your get your adrenaline oh, going i got out and i was just like how on earth is there not damage or anything and so it's just insane and then 30 minutes later i'm in andrew's I'm in. I'm at Andrews putting together a bike for tomorrow. <laughs> it's just insane. To speak to how gnarly the roads are out here, um, I don't know if you remember, but whenever I was out tracking you down, I was like looking for a composition for a shot, and I was kind of like, I mean, I, I was like looking at whatever my composition was, and I kind of went off the road a little bit, and I mean, I was, I don't know how high I was, but I was going off the mountain, and I jerked the wheel to the left. And it took a second. I was like, wait a second. I'm still going down the mountain. So I fucking like yanked it more. And I was like, okay, I think I'm good. And then the back end like slid off. And I was like, fuck. So there's a few seconds there where I was like, I'm going down the mountain right yeah. now. Dude, my, I was like, my adrenaline was pumping. But uh, the roads are crazy. Like, the roads are bonkers out here. Yeah. They're legit crazy there was one road I, I almost couldn't drive up it it was so steep and so rocky that it was like <laughs> yeah the gravel the, the gravel hits differently here like it's i mean the gravel here is not the same in you know south you know southern colorado or northern illinois or you know even in you know the b roads of iowa like there's 
okay, cool gravel roads, but there's so many different levels of gravel roads. It's kind of like, don't the Eskimos have like 30 different words for snow? I didn't know that. <laughs> they have like, like we, we, there's like different levels of gravel. Yeah. Like there's, so the, the gravel in Arkansas. It's like there's just, 30 different blacks or something. You know, right. It's like, it yeah. just hits differently. And, there, and Yeah, like in Texas, I think we have a sandier surface. So like, I think the, like here, the rocks uh, will just kind of, fall you know like there's right. not a a soft surface for them to embed into as easily it's very rocky here and the, and the rocks around here are very um like like they're sharp their geology just makes them sharp yeah corners so when you're blasting down a rocky like it's just a chunky descent day one i mean i punctured my rear tire 60 miles in i think yeah yeah day one i was already plugging did you have any uh, sketchy moments almost going off a mountain? Because there's some extremely tight switchbacks on very steep descents. I actually um, have been told a story about one guy at a race that flew off and died. Like, you know, he flew off the mountain in the middle of the night. And I mean, there it's few you, can't, yeah. you can't fuck around, you know. I, de I, I definitely, um, like, especially at night, I... I only do hills probably at about, you know, 60, 70%. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I can, I'm like, like the speed I'm going to gain from letting loose of the brakes a little bit isn't going to be worth it. So I, yeah, I just, I just dial back on the descents at night. Smart. But during the day, yeah, this stuff can get rowdy. And I'm always very, like, I, I don't want to cross over. Even in the middle of nowhere, I haven't seen a car in hours. I still try to stay on that side of the road. The yeah. last thing I need is to, hairpin corner and all of a sudden i'm in the i'm the the hood ornament of some truck <laughs> so i'm still trying to you know be as safe and conscious as possible and yeah I, I said on the way to lunch here we had an hour drive from adam's cabin i counted there was only four cars and we were on main roads um once you get into the gravel roads it's it's very rare that you see anyone almost right like, exactly how many cars crazy. did we saw, see on the way here four 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 <laughs> In an Four hour, cars. you know? That's wild. On main roads. So, like, when you're out there for, you know, three and a half days, is it hard for you to keep your head in the game? Because I, I believe that you have to keep your head on in the game, especially, like, on the descents. I mean, you're either going up or down in Arkansas, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, is it hard for you to keep your head in the game all the time? Um, I... I've done enough of these where I know that like you go through the stages of the bike race. Like day one, you you got the adrenaline going. Mm -hmm. Day two, you're dealing with the fatigue of day one and kind of like <laughs> and just like understand. And then day three, you're like, why am I out here again? What is the point of this? What's what like the like, three stages of bike kind of, Yeah. <laughs> and so knowing knowing that um, the first night's gonna be usually the hardest, and like um, I move forward with and I use my son as a lot of motivation. I, I just I, I I think of rad things I've done with him and just you know it, being motivated out there. I don't want to say isn't necessarily not hard, but it's it's um just knowing like I'm also I'm incredibly privileged and gracious for the time that I get to do this too. So I'm out there. I'm not pissing and moaning about the weather or this or that. I ch I chose to do this, and so when I'm I'm out there. I'm very much just like excited and stoked for the for the now in that moment. Yeah. Let's talk expectation versus reality. You touched on it a little bit earlier, but um, we heard Andrew's thoughts on on what the Doom route is. I mean, how hard is it? 
And and what what was it compared to what you thought it was going to be? It wasn't biscuits, I'll tell you that. That <laughs> <laughs> was hard as hell, man. Um, and I mean, like you you can sit and look at a route file all day, and you can say this and that, and you can armchair quarterback your own mind as much as you can, and like and you can. I mean, Andrew told me flat out, he's like eight to ten miles per hour at max. That you will cover eight to ten miles per hour max of this of this course. And like you read that, and you're like okay, cool. And you drive down here and you're like, oh, yeah, oh, well. And you get out there and you're like, oh, okay, this is real. Like, I poured myself over my handlebars for an hour to go six miles. Just, and it's, that's the reality. Like, when you, when you get out here and you can expect, oh, I'll be half century in by, by noon. And it's just like, no, you ain't. <laughs> no, you're not. And so it's, um, yeah, the, I, I definitely go into races now with a little bit. I used to just not do. I used to just get the file on my computer and then basically just be enough in the mid pack where you'd hear this is coming up or that's this and this is. That's how I usually like you know get into the race. But this this one I really kind of like would actually like I looked at the course and like really kind of trying to be more conscientious with like what's coming up and. Well, you have to be because of the limited resupply. I mean, super limited resupply. It's worth noting that one of the things that probably makes this route difficult is extremely li limited resupply and, and lack of cell service. So, I mean, even like... Precisely. You, you, you can't like figure it out on course. You got to figure it out at home for the right. most part. Right, exactly. And just like day one, um, in Andrew's beta, he said, mile 82, you're going to... The route file, really be conscientious with this. Is It's going to want to send you uphill and that's not where you need to be. And... I hit that at, you know, 7, 7.30 at night, and I have to still make eight more miles to get to Jasper before the grocery store closes at 9. So it's just like I'm – if I don't make grocery – if I don't make the grocery store, I'm staying in Jasper until 7 a.m. in the morning. So yeah. it's just – it's being conscientious of, of the time really – yeah, of, of the limited resupply was necessary. This wasn't the hardest race you've ever done, though. No. I was well. I don't know if I was too surprised. You've done a lot of lot of stuff, but um, what do you, can you even rank this one right now? This one's pretty like obviously I'm still like I mean you saw me this morning. I barely could, I could barely stand up. <laughs> <laughs> I described you as like a, a what a, like a new Pinocchio or something. Totally just like learning how to just learning walk. how to walk. Again. Hey, one of the questions we got. Sorry, a little rabbit trail was uh, what was the first thing that you said when you woke up? I remember. I was wondering if you. Oh man. Um, <laughs> This funny. is the comfiest post office I've ever slept in or something. <laughs> I think you said, I thought you said this is the strangest post office. Yeah, there it is. This is the strangest <laughs> post office I've ever woken up in. Fair enough. I thought that was pretty good. Like you came out of a, oh, I'd say a good 10, hour, 10 or 11 hour sleep. And uh, that was the first thing you said when you woke up. And I'm and, and midway through the night, I woke up thinking I had to get going. Like I, I woke up in the middle of the night just thinking like, yeah. Christ, you know, it's just like, I didn't hear an alarm. Shit, I slept in. Gotta go. And it's just like, no, man, you're done. <laughs> That's so awesome. <laughs> you don't have to How awesome in. is that feeling? <laughs> That's incredible. So, like, when you guys all scooped me up last night, like that, I dreamt of that skid for hours. <laughs> the entire day I dreamt of that skid. So, like, yeah, you guys scooped me up pretty quick, and I was in a warm car pretty well, quick. it's funny. We should say that... Um, it, I don't know what track leaders... And, I mean, no diss on them. I mean, the technology is amazing, but... Like at one second I was looking at it and Andrew and I were both looking at it. We we're like, okay, he's going to get in like later. 
And, uh, and then we looked at it a little bit later and, you know, like 30 minutes later, it's like, Oh shit, he's 8.9 miles away. We got to like go. And we like four of us wound up being there at the finish line. Like shout out to K, uh, Kai Caddy, uh, uh, Zach, Zach, Zach McCool. Yep. And uh, Andrew and I were there, but all four of us were all sprinting there. We all got there like within 10 minutes before, before you finished for your grand exit <laughs> of the doom. And I think it should be stated that if you want to out doom Brett, it has to include a badass finish. Like Brett did like a twirling spinning skid with the, the, <laughs> and then like it extended to his body. And I don't know, it's pretty epic. So I wish I had my video going, but it'll just lived in, in our hearts and minds. That's that part was, of it though. That man. was a blast. Yeah. And I, and it's, and it's hilarious to hear that Kai warned you guys about the skid too. <laughs> he saw me at the finish of the Arkansas and yeah, you can't not finish races and not skid. Dude, that's awesome. Exactly. Yeah. I wish I skid when I, I fit. I skid during during it, but I need to save the skids there for you when you're done. You know. Precisely. Yeah. So the hardest race. Well, we're gonna rank this one first. Where do where do you think? I mean, sitting here now. This you're, is. You're still feeling the effects. You're still sore. This is definitely. This isn't harder than CTR, but it's not easier than. AZT either so like it's there's different things of here and there and but this is probably if it's not tied for if it's not top it's tied for third okay tied for third so AZT is third AZT CTR is third so it's really tied, it's tied with CTR wow so AZT now, is second is that doom at this length or doom at an equal length to CTR um it's a little bit it's it's Doom at this, like, I also only have Doom at in January, so, like, I'm also putting in a little bit of the, of the tumultuous weather that yeah. I had to deal with in, in the, into the mix. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's up there for sure. Yeah. So, talk about number one. I know you had a cool story with uh, number one. The Olympic 420. The Olympic 420. Exactly. Yeah, and, and to be honest, um, I might have heard of it before. I don't recall uh, hearing much about it, so this was a whole all new to me. It started out as 420 miles, um... Uh, but it's now f roughly about 480, and Adam says that uh, if it ever reaches 500 miles, they'll change the name. But it's <laughs> it's 400. It's it's Olympic 420, but it's 400 and I think it was 83 miles this year. So yeah, only this year was the seventh year of it, and at the starting line, at um, only five successful finishers have ever finished this race. Yeah. This so one's brutal. It circumnavigates the it circumnavigates the entire um, Olympic National Forest, and you go from Port Washington back to Port Washington, and you're you're in it. It is I, I don't even really really know how to describe it, but it it is such an incredibly tumultuously hard race. So to add context for the number for the numbers, like Arkansas High Country was a thousand miles and eighty one thousand feet of climbing, Olympic. 420 was 483 miles and the same amount of climbing. Yeah. So same amount of climbing, cut the mileage in a little bit more than half. Right. Yeah. And you also said that they went back and reclaimed forest roads from like early 1900s. Totally. Like so decommissioned this, forest roads. This, this, if, if there's a, if there is a story behind grassroots, like bike packing grass, like, 
trail building, this is it. And so in the, on the divide in 2012, which was my first divide, I was in the YWCA up in, up in Canada and I saw this bike with, it had smooths, it, like it had smoothies on and he had knobby tires on his back rack. And I was like, oh, this dude actually rode here. And so I went up and all of a sudden I'm, I'm standing in front of Adam and I think he's like 6'6", six, six, big tall dude, you know, infectious smile. And I'm like, yo, dude, you rode here? Where'd you, where'd you ride from? And he's like, Olympia, Washington. And he just in, instantly, we were buds. Like it's just like instantly. And um, had the same kind of like just the same likes and interests and just the way we, we moved around this bike, this new thing of bike packing. Like he and I hit it off right away. And he was with his buddy Shane. And they told me about this route. They're like, oh, we're designing this course in in, in Washington. Uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna race around like ra- like r- race around the Olympics. Yeah. And I was like, okay, that's sweet. But I didn't know contextually what was actually going into it. And what that means is basically Adam and Shane, they from being Olympia, they wanted to make a bikepacking course that circumnavigated the entire Olympic National Forest. And so they started. So um, Olympia is down in the bottom of the, like the bottom of the, uh, of the Olympics. And um, so they started down there on the roads that they knew. A couple of years went by and Adam actually found a Facebook group called the Olympic 360. Mm-hmm. And he's like, what's this? There was another guy, Ron Thompson, up in Squim, Washington, who had the same idea of making a course that circumnavigated the Olympics. And so they they put their heads together and they got it. They built this route themselves. And in that process, they found old Forest Service road, like Forest Service maps. And they're like, wait, we're up there all the time. Where is this road? So they found old decommissioned uh, logging roads from the 40s and through to over two years of weekend warrior, like weekend warrior trips up there to clear cut, they're riding, they're riding it. Yeah. So this course—that's next level, by the way. They were ba- they 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 found old roads from the '40s to link up passes, and the Olympics are like they're—I don't want to say like classic mountain ranges, but mountain ranges usually, you know, there's the strip of mountains and the valley in the middle. Strip of mountains, valley in the middle. Mm. The Olympics are like swirls, so there is really no central valley between peaks. There's it's it's just the combination of of a lot of the, the mountains don't go very linear. Mm. So the way you can get from one one place to a next is through these passes. And instead of going all the way around on this road, they're like, we're just gonna make we're just gonna recommission the road that's already there yeah. that the loggers used a long time ago. So it took them years to make this route. And I think yeah, 2015 was their very first one. 14 or 15, because yesterday this year was the seventh year. And so, yeah, it, it just, they created this whole course out of basically the love of bikepacking and also trying to link up some of the most gnarliest spots in the Olympic forest. You described one, uh, one way to like kind of contextually understand how difficult it was is you know, you have a, what did you say? Like a 300 year old tree that was down and then yeah. you have to like get on top of it and like volley strap your bike yeah, up to you. <laughs> you're, you're, there are hiker bikes in there where it is double brake. Like you, you move your bike a bike length, grab your brakes. And then now you use your bike as to like to pull yourself up. Right. And that's 
hours. So like there is an enormous amount of hiking bike like hike biking on the Olympic 420, but it, you're in the most just primordial forests covered like and we're you're riding past you know half a century old trees and there were times there was one trail like i had to now get myself up and over this huge you know three four hundred year old tree i can't go down i can't go up because the damn thing is you know hundreds of feet long across the whole trail i had to take a valet strap and basically, I, I climbed up onto the up onto the tree, hooked the valet like hook. I, I had it pre-hooked and basically like grabbed it and to then pull my bike up to where I could grab the handlebars. And now I'm dragging it over the log, and I had to do that for hours. There was there's sections that just just requires just a ton of hiking biking. So being, I mean, you you'd you'd push all day. All day for maybe sixty miles. Weren't you the ninth person to ever complete it? Eighth person. Eighth person. <laughs> eighth person. Only third out of stater. And how many people have completed it to date? Still only eight. Eight. <laughs> Still only eight. That race. Uh, at the beginning of the race, I was told that uh, most people ride ride with stoves, and I just kinda, like I raced with a stove in twenty twelve. I'll, I'll ride with a stove like around you know stuff around home like around home but like i won't like race race with a stove and i thought that was kind of like oh good luck for you i was making a stove at the first resupply like old old school cat food can alcohol stove (laughs) because i got i understood why and it was because the pacific northwest even if it's not raining you're wet like you like it is raining and that cold pierces you to just internally I mean, yeah, okay, cool. I mean, yesterday I woke up, I mean, I was riding in, you know, 12, 14 degree, you know, weather in the very, very early in the morning, but at 38 degrees and soaking wet in the Pacific Northwest, I was more cold there. Mm-hmm. Just the way it bites you. Yeah, that moisture in the air. Just the, yeah, the moisture. Just crawling through berry bushes. I got lost on the, I got lost out of, um, I got, I, I lost the course and basically crawled through these invasive Himalayan blackberry bushes that are rampant in, the Pacific Northwest, and I had to crawl through them for two hours to get to find back the trail. And that just, and it was the light was waning, and it's just like, I, I, I don't want to not be here when it's dark, or I don't want to be here when it's dark. And it's just, <laughs> it, so yeah. So, but that race, that was the first race I've ever done platform pedals because there's so much hike biking. So just like, what's the point of clipping in? What's the in? point of clipping in? <laughs> yeah, that race, they, it's, it's just, I really hope I'm doing it justice, but it's just the the combination of two different sets of people with the same idea of making a course that go around the Olympics, and um, just the, the the roads they take you on and the stuff. Adam and Shane and Ron, who are the main architects of this ride, they're so deeply rooted into the context of the Pacific Northwest. It's such an experience to be part of that. And Adam's been pushing and pushing me to be out there. And it's always in early September. And I've never been able to make that time work. And then last year, he's like, the shop's flying you out. You're, you're racing. I'm, I'm sick of you telling me no. And <laughs> that's how I got out there. And it was incredible. And um, now seeing it for myself and seeing like and hearing the stories of, of clearing out decommissioned forest roads and 
not a lot of people have finished this and it's harder than it's it is incredibly difficult um just me just made me want to go back it's almost what is that a uh, running race like the marathon one the the old guy puts on in the oh, yeah. forest i can't remember what it's called i know what you're talking about though yeah, yeah it's like a very high attrition rate huge huge <laughs> But like, I, uh, oh, go ahead. But this race, like, they've had women start it, but no one's, no, no, like, no woman has ever, fun, like, ever finished the Barclay. it. Barkley. It was, it's the Barkley Marathon. There That's it is. what it's called. Yeah. Sorry. But yeah, no, just like the fact that, like, the most they've ever had people start up is 12. And it's like, I'm not saying that, like, they, they're, they're not trying to, like, they don't want it to be a, a hundred person thing, but they're just like, they push the fact that, like, this is tough. Like, this is an incredibly tough course. So they really, I don't want to say like save it for the most elite. That's not the right word word choice, but basically like it is an incredibly difficult non-invitational invitational. You know, in like ultra running, it's not uncommon to have a qualifier because you right. can't get someone out in a really uh, treacherous type of environment or situation and they're not prepared. Like, right. you know, <clears throat> it, it doesn't have to be with how cool you are or anything like that. It's just like, you, I don't want you to die. Right. And Matt Lee asked me that in, in, when I signed up for my first divide in 12. He's like, you're not just doing this because you saw a, a movie on Netflix. And it's just like, <laughs> nope. Not just doing it because I saw a movie on Netflix. <laughs> but yeah, no, the, the Olympic 420 is hands down the the hardest thing I've, and I mean, that's coming from three AZTs, three divides, yeah. all that. Well, it speaks for itself that only eight people have even finished it. Right. Making a cat food can stove in the rain 20 minutes after I saw a mountain lion, like pushing your bike up for hours up, you know, random passes. But the stuff you see just like, the, like, the incredible environment the Pacific Northwest has to offer is just it's just beautiful. Yeah, they're going to take you places that not many people are going to get to see. Right. It's like it, and it feels like you're in Jurassic Park. It literally. I mean, I don't spend a lot of time out in the Pacific Northwest, and there it was giant. Just, just you feel so in a way just sentiently connected to the earth in a in a better way because you have these giant trees that I mean, like we hadn't even. White man hasn't even touched their foot on the soil yet when this thing was just a sapling. Yeah, so it's just cool. like that kind of stuff where it's just like, wow, this you are in the thick of it. And it only rained on us maybe just shy of half the time. And then that was apparently a dry year. They took like Adam and, and Ron were, were laughing. They're like, if you would have finished it without rain, you would have had an asterisk because you have <laughs> to have rain to be a finisher. Um, there's times, yeah, there like there's times where, uh, it. It's, it's rained the entire time. And the first person wasn't across the line for six and a half days. Oh, my God. No. Right. And <laughs> so it's just, and it's an incredibly, um, I've, I learned a lot. Like, if, if I have to say, like, what race have ta has taught you the most, it was it was the Olympics. Yeah. Uh, I Whenever we picked you up from OR Cafe, when you're finished, we promise you, you never have to be cold again. And now it's starting to get cold. <laughs> <laughs> I'm cool, man. It's, I'm totally fine. This is, um, it's, it's not, uh, I'm not descending. So <laughs> I don't have to worry about zippers on this one. How do you pick an event and, and what's next for you? I mean, uh, yeah. How do you go about it? I mean, obviously with being like all the triple crown stuff was super fun, but I, I don't dare want to say it was boring, but like when you, after you've done three divides and three AZTs, like you, you, 
you I love those races. Don't get me wrong. I, I mean, AZT is still one of my favorite races on earth, but I just needed something a little bit closer to home. And I started doing a little bit more like endurance gravel. The Alexander uh, was one of the original, in my opinion, like mini ultras. And that started in Spring Valley, Minnesota and would go through three states. So I was able to do that one in 2018. That's where I uh, met Dylan Morton on that race. And Shout out um, Dylan coming up, uh, probably interviewing him like tomorrow or Sunday. And then the following year is when I first met, first met Seth Wood. Oh, yeah. And um, so like just more local, like long distance gravel racing. And then there's there's um, the, the dam, which is the day across Minnesota, which I attempted the double dam. Hmm. Um, had to pull out on that one. So really, I just, I, I look at like, you know, three, four state radius and kind of see like what's, what's around. And if I can't bike pack for a week, I, I love these, you know, 48 hour, this time it was three and a half days, but, um, mini, I don't want to say like just mini ultras. Yeah. That's a, that's a good one. Mini ultra. We were talking about like yeah. what to what to call these like kind of shorter you know quote unquote shorter you know events because like you can't uh, compare you know three hundred eighty miles to twenty eight hundred miles right like it just exactly. it's not the exact same thing no <laughs> yeah so we have to figure out a name for that but yeah I mean so anything on your in, calendar um, Iowa Winden Rock I got okay. into that one and that one I, and I love how they say right on the website they're like we are not the Trans Iowa. The Trans Iowa was uh, was on my list. I got in in 2012, but I had to um, I screwed my knee up the weekend prior on the Ragnarok, and I had to tell Guitar Ted I was out. And I never won the lottery. I never, you know, that's a postcard lottery one, and I never won the lottery again. And then they stopped running it. So it's um, I needed something local and kind of just you know a little bit different, but still the same. And these longer distance gravel stuff um, really spoke to me. So now that you've completed the doom route you've set a benchmark that people are going to be looking to take down i want to take down my own benchmark i All know right. exactly where so i need to give take yourself time, give time yourself off. some advice and uh, any advice you're willing to give to anybody looking to come out here and and take down this route uh, a, a good filter my sawyer has probably seen a, a few too many races and it was slow having a there's plenty are you, of, there's, is that, are you using like the Sawyer squeeze yeah one? the yeah. Sawyer squeeze filter but I don't use the bag I use I carry um it threads on top of a classic uh like soda bottle bat, yeah. and I'll you'll see um I always carry a coke bottle with me there's always that coke bottle on the side of my down tube but that's also uh another recent uh arrow in my quiver is uh how I use maple syrup Okay. But so that's actually, it's a lot of, it starts out as Coke, but it ends up being diluted maple syrup. Uh, wh- wh- what? <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> like you're adding maple syrup? Yeah, I, I just, yeah, I, I, I use the bottle and I just, and I use it as my, instead of just ingesting straight maple syrup, I dilute it and, oh, and drink it throughout the day. Okay. okay. Um, but um, advice for myself, get a better brand new f- filter. You okay. don't, and also you don't need that much water. I carried... There's a two and a half liter frame or it's a two and a half bladder in the frame bag, one and a half liter bottle in the down tube. And I had that Coke bottle and I, I was probably pretty, I was probably about a, li- a, a liter and a half too much. Yeah. You didn't need that much. It was, there was enough water. There's a lot of water around. Right. Yeah. But I've also been in places where I need six liters. Like the, I always think back to the AZT when I'm just like 
six six and a half liters was not enough. Also depends on the time of year. Like right. when they do it in May, it's going to be a lot hotter probably. Right. So um, the Sawyer fits better on the... I'm too heavy-handed with those the bags, and I burst the seam on the bags all the time. So I've learned my lesson to when I do filter water, I filter it through the soda bottle. Nice. So that would be the first thing. And running maybe a little... I... A lot of people, I get, I get, I don't want to say guff, but like, I went being a being riding and riding gravel on 650Bs, I definitely get kind of like the, like, what do you like? I, I, people are curious on why I choose a smaller wheel with a fatter tire. And it's for the cush. Yeah. This environment is incredibly indicative of needing a little bit more cushion and having 650B by 2.0 gravel kings down at two, down to about 22 psi is perfect. Yeah, you were running fully rigid too. Always. Um, yeah. So just for anyone who didn't know, single speed, full rigid. Uh, <laughs> but you did have some voluminous tires. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. Um, Small, like, yeah, just a little bit. This is no environment for a 38, 43C. If you're coming out here with anything lower than a 43, you, you got to be pretty dainty on the downhills. <laughs> Get out of here. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's just one of those things. It's just, it's chunky. It's, this isn't. I, it's not the gravel of like the you know central plains or anything like that. It, this is there's some chunk to it yeah it's sharp too like and we were sharp. saying it's chunky and sharp and yeah you get going fast and i mean you you had a flat but it's not uncommon for you to slice a tire out here incredibly i remember i remember, i vividly remember seeing pictures of dylan sewing together his sidewall mm -hmm. on his itt attempt a couple of years ago and i was like damn damn and, and there's other <laughs> things out there like and i've the had first bikepacking trip I ever tried to go on was on the Lovett Trail in Arkansas. I got 0.5 miles in and sliced my sidewall no side on a on a rock. Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> of course there's no cell phone service. Of so I had to ride my I guess oh yeah, wife's uh bike back. I'm a, I ride extra large, she rides a medium, so yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh yeah, the it's it's pretty gnarly terrain out here slice your shit right up um and just yeah other advice for myself if i'm coming back to, for this course save the room you don't need that much water save the room for more food boom mm -hmm. so what are you gonna do to celebrate celebrate being done yeah my <laughs> best friend from wisconsin that uh lived in colorado forever uh he just moved to bentonville so i get to see him for the first time since 2019 is that what so, you're doing today? Yeah, so I'm gonna head up there. Stoked on that. Did you get in touch with him? Yeah, yeah. Sweet. He, he's uh, he got on trail crew for rock solid contracting, so I'm super proud of him. Oh yeah, they they build a lot of the trails or all the trails. Right, up here. right. Yeah. So, yeah, Mitch is a welder and um, gonna help on crew. Dude, they're the shit they're building around here is just insane. Incredible. It's like a, a playground for mountain bikers. It's incredible. You know, it's incredible. Yeah. Did you bring a BMX bike? Did I see one in your, uh, yep. Yep. Are you going to hit that up? Yeah. We're going to go hit the rail yard. Oh, right on. Yeah. I don't know how I'm going to feel with, you know, bike packer <laughs> legs. Yeah. You're definitely still, I was watching you walk to the restroom a little while ago and you're still like hobbling. But yeah. I mean, it's stiff. Yeah. But, you're not even 24 hours off of being done. But I haven't, I haven't ridden BMX bikes with Mitch since 2008. Oh, yeah. So like I've I miss we used to, we were thick as thieves. Um, if I mean if I had to if if I had to throw away all my bikes but keep one, it's the BMX bike. No way, Hands really? Down. Wow. Yep, not even joking. And I'm not just saying it to say it. It's the BMX bike is where I learned, where I started, where I learned, and just that's ingrained in me to like 
deep, sentiently connected. Man, you were doing so good, but now I'm going to have to throw this one in the trash. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. no, no, no. It's I come from BMX it. too, man. But that's sure. where but so that's, many people did, that's especially where our age. Exactly, and, and I'm not. And that, if I look at the context of where I and and how everything happened, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for BMX. Because like that bike shop that I worked at, where I used to just pay the I used to pay the dudes in food. Randy and Drew used to just ask. I used to come in with broken spokes or busted, you know brakes or whatever and so they'd fix my bike i'd pay them in stolen food from my mom and um <laughs> and then they start then they could see in me that like okay this dude's you know he's not just when he gets his license he's not just gonna be he's not gonna be done and so like if i if i wouldn't have shop ratted at that shop for a long time and then eventually worked there and then gotten pushed into getting my first mountain bike in summer of 04 and then going on a road trip like i wouldn't have, i wouldn't be here if it wasn't for bmx bmx or death there it is there it is <laughs> boom congrats dog thanks man first ever three days 12 hours nine minutes congrats my dude it was incredible it was a great experience and um i'm incredibly just i keep saying i'm incredibly thankful for the privilege of being out here because it, it is it's a privilege to be out here and to be part of this fabric in the community. And I definitely, when I came down to Arkansas before and for the first time, I did not expect, like, there, there's definitely, I don't want to say there's not, there's not other races don't lack community, like the, the Divide and the CTR and the AZT and everyone has their, like, we have their, our, our groups, but the Arkansas, the way everyone just built everyone up and the, just the, the, the community here is on a different level. Spot on. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there's a lot of beautiful places, but yeah, they, they've really fostered the community and, and, and the government has gone along. The city has kind of got in, the businesses have got in and a lot of people are bought into cycling and, and it shows, man, it's, it's pretty dope. Right. Yeah. But it didn't start without the people, you know, the people are the ones that are really championing everything. Right. So, and yeah, Andrew's a great example, man. He's been doing some great work and really just doing it for the love of the community, you know, and, uh, this, this route's a passion project of his and uh, you got to see it all. I got to see a lot of it and, uh, it's beautiful, man. It's, it's out incredible. here. It's out here. It's, and, it, and it's like in a good way. It was, yeah, it, it's, and it's not just hard to be hard. You are you're moving. Yes, it'd be slow, but you're moving elegantly through this landscape because it is just gorgeous you're going through all these rocks and these valleys and flying down and crawling up and <laughs> it's an incredible experience yeah baby i love it switching to van or death because it's cold as fuck outside so you were talking about a uh what is what, what is it called again bikes for freedom bikes for freedom yeah so you're telling me about bikes for freedom and I want to give you a chance to tell everybody what you're going to be doing with it. It's I'm incredibly infatuated with tangible physical art. And, I'm, and I love playing vinyl. You know, I have my tape cassettes still. Like, I just, I love holding books and film photography and film. And just like, it's something, it's, it's, it's there. It's, it's, you know, it's in your hands. It's not on a screen in front of you. And so I've always kind of like, well, cycling is physical. Why, sh why shouldn't our art be physical? And the instantaneous gratification of Instagram is good, but I just, it's also, you lose 
you lose a lot of the gravity of it. Like you post a picture from an epic something crazy, it's just it's gone. You know, the ephemerality is there. It's just it's gone. So I just I was like, how can I how can I help you know bring back a little tangible physical art into something that I love so much? And um, I thought of bikes are freedom, and basically it will be a cycling centric community collaborative art adventure crowdsourced crowdsourced there you go it's i like it's a little too catchy but uh what it's called bikes for freedom or bikes are freedom bikes are freedom bikes are freedom f-r-e-e-d-u-m-b like the i know you you were referencing uh like oh someone with fuck cars like cars or coffins cars are very similar so it's i've been seeing that it's an old school. Um, it stems from the stems from the Twin Cities, and it was just just punk rock, beer, and bikes. I think that was actually their logo. But um, uh, so bikes are freedom, and it's just what it's going to be is basically you contribute by sending an actual physical, either a picture, written word, story, anything. You send it to you send it to the PO box, and it gets added to the that current issue so who's gonna manage all this i am so you're gonna like you'll get it scan it in right print it out and then send it out yeah it'll be i want to i want to basically like you know in my mind collect stuff for about three months and then then you then, then i make something and pump it out there the only way you can get merch like patches stickers and buttons do you remember what an SASE is? Self-addressed stamped envelope. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know what that is. I've never heard that term. Right. right. So bringing back the self-addressed stamped envelope. So I just, I want, I want physical, tangible, I want our art to be, I want our art there in our hands. And so anyone can, you know, not everyone, like you can't just send one photo to like Bicycling Magazine or Free Hub or anything like that. Like, so this is a way for people to, contribute to the inner fabrical workings of our of our lifestyle and our sport and and but you can make just a single submission or a something that you really want to put out there it's just it's going to be a platform for me to also i've shot all these races on film and i've i've got nothing to show for it i want i, I want to i want an audience that understands why someone is eating pizza in a with rain gloves on kind of thing it's yeah just, so it's a way for me to kind of help bring tangible physical art back into the hands of cyclists, but also having a way for them to contribute as li- as little or as much as they want. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a great idea. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing. We've touched on it, but I mean, you or maybe we talked about it pretty well. But you have film photography from every bike race that you've done just about 2015 and 2015 and onward and and being able to like go back and actually see all those would be would be pretty rad i did not know that i actually took a a show a photo of josh so when i took when i did gave josh's cheeto waterfall (laughs) at the first day of the ctr in 2017 i took his i took his portrait i asked him for his and i still have that portrait so now looking back on that image and knowing contextually that that cheetah waterfall changed him to attempt 
the same thing I was just finishing is super contextual. Like I'm knowing that that's was at that moment where I, I changed somebody. I was just trying to be a goof and give somebody some Cheetos. <laughs> and I didn't, I mean, I, I set him on a path to, you know, to attempt something that changed him and changed his life. So that, that meant, that meant the world to me. So it's just a way for, it's just a way for, you know, sappy, sentimental, you know, physical Luddites like myself to be able to contribute to our sport. Yeah. I think people will dig it. Um, can't, it's like you said, you can't fight change. Like change is always going to be there, but it doesn't mean we can't like, um, create other, other ways. It's still like heart. I mean, you know, vinyl records are very popular, uh, right now. And like, um, man, cassette tapes are cool because they're tangible and they, they harken back and bring us back to like maybe a simpler time. And, uh, and it is nice to have like tangible things that you can touch, feel and smell. Like everybody loves the smell of a new book when you open it right. up or something, you know? And a- anyone can take their phone and load, load up as many photos online as they want. But like to, to make a submission to Bikes for Freedom, it has to be analog. You have to physically send me a picture, a poem, a postcard, it has to be physical, yeah. and that can be. And then to, I, I looked it up. That I'm not like there's. You can make a submission for less than a dollar. Yeah. So I do like this is new, right? So brand like, new. How? Yeah. I got ha- the PO. I got the PO box on the 28th of December. Yeah. So like logistically, in a digital world, we got to walk people through this. How how do you how do you submit? <laughs> <laughs> you you can you can if in a digital world. You can you can send a photo from your phone to Walgreens and pay forty three cents for a four by six picture, and then go to the post office and spend thirty five cents on a postcard uh, stamp, and there's your submission. You you write something on the back, tell me a joke, anything. You've now submitted your picture to Bikes Are Freedom, and uh, like how do people get the address? I mean, you could tell it now. Yeah, but- yeah. Um, oh God. Do you even know it? <laughs> 1314 North Sherman Street, I think number 271. Why do you sound like you have a gun to your head? Right. I kind of do. <laughs> 1314 <laughs> North Sherman? <laughs> no, no. But no, it's, um, that's, yeah. yeah, you basically, not a lot of, I mean, obviously every, not everyone has printers. So you, and, will you have like that address on your like Instagram profile? Like how will people, or they just DM you? I have the Bikes for Freedom Instagram already. I, okay. I've already kind of like, this is, this is brand new. Like yeah. I, I wanted to draw, I wanted to have this for Gravel Worlds last year and it's just nothing really came about it. And I just like, I needed the new luster of the year to kind of like push me forward. I needed, I needed a new project. And also I'm so sick and tired of taking photos that no one sees. And it's not like I, like I, I, I don't want to not put them online, but I just I want them to be a little bit more. I want the viewer to, you know, not not necessarily feel what I felt in the image, but I want them to analyze it, and that happens better when it's not on a screen. Yeah. But it is twelve thirteen North Sherman, number two seventy one, Madison, Wisconsin five three seven zero four. Say it one more time. That number again is. <laughs> 1213 North Sherman, number 271, Madison, Wisconsin, 53704. Bikes are freedom. Right. And I'll have, and I'll, and I'll have, uh, yeah, like things will be coming up quick because it's, I really want this. I, I want the photos I took in Doom to be part of the first, first ever, you know, volume. Yeah. And 
I got some film I'll send you. Perfect. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's just, this- I, lo- I love it. Cause I mean, I, I'm, uh, you know, I just got into film photography and I'm, I'm learning to appreciate it. But when you have one exposure, one click, you know, to compose the right shot and get the right. lighting right and the exposure, like it, it, it has more meaning. It has a little bit more impact and you have to wait. And so the anticipation builds and then you get that memory and right. yeah, you're, you're wanting to like share that experience and you can't, can't convey it when you're just you know thumbing through instagram real quick and I it can, just is in there with all the exactly other and i alexander Houshin used to send me postcards and and poems on when she was doing a lot of her rides and it's just it, i still have them and they're 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 meaningful because i can they're there they're just there's she went through the time to just send me something and that's and that meant the world to me so when i want everyone to just i want everyone to have something in their hands that is is heartfelt and I keep saying contextual and tangible. I want them to be able to, if it's just one single image from a trip that somebody took with a little story, that's if you write something on a gum wrapper and send it to me, I'll well, like, it, like it's in. I want this to be the back of a pizza box, <laughs> right? And I I grew up looking at like you know. Thrasher Skate Mag would, you know, post pictures of some of the really cool uh, letters they'd get where people draw on them and everything. So I, yeah. I, I want to bring back, um, and I get a lot of inspiration from other artists. Um, Leif Fallon uh, with Fairdale Bikes, his art really inspires me. Ed Templeton with, with Toy Machine, like his art still inspires me. And so it's just like there's ways that art and imagery and written word can can help propel somebody to make a choice like i i want someone to open up a bikes or freedom and be like i want to go do doom or like i want i i I want someone to you know like to see an image and be like that's it i'm i'm on the list for the divide just i I want i want to spring i want to use everyone's because everyone has these experiences and it doesn't take that much to just throw something at like you know do a quick little postcard and collecting all those together to make one massive story, I think that's 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 what I'm striving for. Yeah, it's gonna be dope. So, how do you like you submit something? But what if you want to be a subscriber? I don't think we told people how to subscribe. It's not necessarily a subscription. It'll be basically like a quarterly. My in my mind of something like if I'm really extrapolating and kind of looking at it, I want I want to have four to six publications a year. Well, so basically. I'll just plug it on on Instagram or whatever that it's that it'll be able to like hey issue one's coming up and then you I'm gonna uh, kind of get an idea of how many copies I need to print out and there we are. Okay, so yeah, first submissions, then you'll publish it. Be like, hey, it's about to come out. Anybody who wants one, can right, shoot you however much it's gonna cost to get it to them. Yeah, and that that'll be uh, there. There will be there is there is there will be a website. Um, but yeah, it's just that. No digital submissions. You almost shouldn't even have a web. Like, if, if you could get it to the point where um, you could get it all offline, you know, that'd be wild. You know, maybe like you have to call into an eight hundred number to like get instructions or something. Fair enough. <laughs> no, and I don't then, know. But then, um, or you could do a website. I'm not like the overlord or overseer of these of all this stuff. People are just. I'm just the channel. People are going to send me this. I'm going to. I'm going to you know, collaborate it and put it together. Somebody's random postcard that they sent me is going to get stuffed in the envelope of some, of of some person who ordered it in Texas. Who the hell knows? Like, so 
the submissions don't just get recycled or thrown away. They get put back into the ether by you're going to open up in it like your mail and all of a sudden you're going to be like, oh, I got the I got this person's postcard or I got this person's story. So like it's all I want it to be. I keep going back to the physical and tangible experience. Yeah, that's sick. I'm stoked. People, people are going to like it. I'm going to I'm going to definitely send you some. Uh, I have so much film photography that I put some on Instagram, but yeah, you're right. It, it feels, I don't know. It's fine. I, I do some of it, but I like the idea of like printing out my film and sending it to you. Right. And I mean, we, we Maybe all, a short story or something. Bikepackers journal, far ride, all those, they're super sweet adventure, adventure journal. They all are awesome, but not everyone can submit. Not everyone is, is guaranteed a submission. Unless you're spouting hate, you're virtually guaranteed to be, you know, like a contributor. That's it. Like, I'm not, I don't care if you are a time trial heart, like heart rate monitor dude, or you, you know, all the way down to whatever else you think is like any aspect of cycling, you, you send me something, you've now made a contribution and, and it's the weirder, the better. I, I just, I've seen, I remember, um, years ago seeing somebody, uh, like a chain letter where like the letter actually created a puzzle. No. So they, my uh, my friend would send this person like they would write on the back of a big giant old poster, but they created like they cut it up and yeah. so like after a full summer of you know sending letters back home, they finally got the whole poster. <laughs> so stuff like that, like just the weirder the better. Yeah, I love it. I mean, you talk about like Thrasher magazine. You and I are about the same age, and I grew up in the skateboarding BMX scene. Precisely. And so like. Yeah, that definitely like Dinosaur Junior, like all the artwork that came on like you know cassette tapes. And, you exactly, know, they're like Easter eggs. You know? They are it's like, exactly, yeah. and I want I want those Easter eggs, and I want people to express themselves through a sport that I care so deep deeply that I want them to you know be able to create that with me, and that's where the community crowdsourced art comes from. I dig it. Now, tell me about that time you almost died. From avocados. <laughs> that one's, yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. That one needs to be told. That one is, uh, that one's a cigar. classic. CTR 2017, where I almost died by injet, by inhaling guacamole. I had 12,200 feet in a rainstorm. <laughs> <laughs> so 2017, um, I left, so on the CTR, you, uh, Silverton is the last thing you see before Breckenridge, or before uh, uh, Buena Vista. So there's a 250, 60 mile span in there where you, you know, the majority of it is without resupply. And so I'm like, you basically food on food. So I, I got to Silverton later than I thought. And so I didn't think I was actually going to be able to get more food. I thought I was going to roll through early morning, but, um, I ended up getting through later in the day. And, um, I was like, well, shit, I need, I have room. I need food. So I left the grocery store and I left it with three avocados that I had. I made guacamole in a reused. Um, uh, like a shopping bag? Yeah, you know, like, a, like a trail mix bag. Like, okay, a, like yeah, more yeah. robust kind of like plastic with the zipper on top. And I, the only place I had to put it was in my rain jacket pocket. And um, so I left Silverton, went up Stony Pass, and it started right when I got to the top of Stony. It just started pouring just pouring and that's you're above tree line and so i just like well let's keep going and you're talking like i'm midwest 
I don't really know much about like you know mountainous thunderstorms, even though I just know you're not supposed to be in them, and let alone I'm in in one and I'm above tree line, so I've got nothing around, and so I just was like, well, I'll just keep going, I'll just keep going, I'll just keep going. It's the middle of the night, or what I think is the middle of the night. It's pitch black and a and a lightning strike struck down probably twenty feet away from me, like took me back, like shocked me, just like whoa. And so I was like, I need to lay down. I need to lay down and just be prone. And I, I mean, I have a thousand more feet to go until the high to the high point. So it's like, this is dumb. I need to. So I bivvied up and just laid down, bivvied up, laid down and just like, just like normal. And all of a sudden in the middle of the night, middle of the night, my body just wakes me up and I cannot breathe. And I'll, let alone a, like a, a bivy sack is like a fabric coffin. Right. <laughs> so I'm like, quivering i am shaking uncontrollably um trying to trying to get breath and i just just i am out of breath i cannot breathe and when i reach probably didn't even have your hands free right were they like they were in my bag yeah yeah. so i when i and i always sleep with my headlamp on when i reached up to turn my headlamp on i felt i felt a squish (laughs) i felt a squish and i thought i was touching my brain i looked in the dark not being able to breathe, basically flopping around like a fish. I could not, when I touched what was what I then would find out to be guacamole, I thought I was dying. So my body flushed all the drugs that my brain kept in the back for basically like preparation for death. Was my body is now on a neck, like I am now going through, I feel like I'm one of, I'm on those air, like on those walkways at the airport, but then I'm also in slow mo at the same time. Mm-hmm. And um, so I finally unzip my sleeping bag. I finally unzip my sleeping bag. My headlamp is on. It's pouring out. It's still pouring. And as I sit up, as I sit up, my body basically this last final like, okay, here it is. And my body just like basically like, like, like the exorcist where my body just started just shaking, just shaking. And I regurgitated through my nasal cavity and my mouth probably three avocados. I didn't realize that when I went to bed, I curled up with my my rain jacket and I Play-Doh squished the guacamole through the bag, through the zipper, and I in- inhaled it into my nasal cavity while I was sleeping without knowing. Oh my God. And so I'm sitting there and I just took the deepest breath, the deepest breath that I've probably taken since birth. And you know that scene from uh, Shawshank Redemption when he when he's done and he's he's done crawling through the tube and it's raining and he like stares up at the sky and he's like looking at it. I was like that, yeah. where I was just like I was just breathing and just being glad to be alive and it was pouring out and we're talking like a pool of water in the in the center of my lap of my sleeping bag and I'm crying. I'm just crying because like I couldn't breathe. For hey, you thought you were dead. Thought I was your dead. Brains. And I just was like, what? And so I zip, I finally get back in my bivy sack and I zip back up and I'm just, I'm going back and forth between laughing and crying and laughing and crying. And I'm like that. And I cried myself back to sleep, cry laughed myself back to sleep, basically saying, your death certificate would have said death by guacamole. <laughs> and so that race there's no one on it. There's no one on it. So it being as a loquacious storyteller as I am, I always wanted to talk to somebody. So I was, I was telling all the through hikers. 
I was just yakking at people and asking them their trail names and telling stories. And uh, that's, and I didn't realize that the through hikers that were, cause we were going northbound, which is kind of against the grain of the book. So all the hikers were going southbound. So all the hikers who were seeing racers behind me, I didn't realize what they had dubbed me Guac Man. <laughs> so my trail name was Guac Man. Nice. And like, I was trying to think of a trail name for you if it was like <laughs> Avocado Man or. <laughs> so, yeah. So, like, before I even like met Josh Ewell, he already knew who I was because he heard the story of Guac Man. And so, yeah, that, that story, I don't want to say it was the hardest thing that's ever happened to me on a bike packing race, but obviously, definitely, like, yeah, almost dying sucks. But feeling guacamole and thinking it's your brain and like your, your body tricking you into basically like sending you all the drugs that's saved up in your head for that moment. Yeah. Yeah. All that's So that was one of the more wild experiences. You're right. Any of these. That's a much better way to end a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks, buddy. I'm glad you didn't die. Yeah, me too. Because I can't. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather <laughs> ride bikes. For sure. Bikes for death. Okay, okay. That's it for today's episode. Thank you again to Brett for coming down and uh, being an inspiration to so many and also for taking the time to chat with me. Really enjoyed the hangs, dude, and uh, wish you luck with all of your future endeavors. Like I said, one more reminder, we're recording the 100th episode of Bikes or Death live and in person with the Lechugas Wednesday night. January 12th, 6.30 p.m. at the Natural State Rockin' Republic. No need to RSVP. The event is free. Just come and heckle me. Or, yes, just heckle. That'd be fine. <laughs> All right, everybody. One more time, if you appreciate the body of work we do over here at Bikes or Death, you can support us over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. Thank you all, all for being here. And don't forget to go ride your damn bike. It was the middle of the night You grabbed your knife and you held it tight The sounds of beasts kept you awake The sounds they made kept you afraid In the morning you packed your bike Memories forgotten from the previous night You rode faster than ever before Was it your imagination? Merely folklore. Fear turned into strength as you pushed further. Every pedal stroke stronger and firmer. Your bike feels weightless. Your legs aren't tired. You think to yourself, just a few more miles. Bikes. Oh, death. Bikes. Oh, death.